0: I got a bunch of funny stories to start the show. Here's one. Uh, Saturday afternoon, uh, Jonas and I wanted to go see Ready Player One. He's into video games. Mm -hmm. We're into Spielberg movies. It looks like it's right up our alley. Our favorite theater is one that's outside the city. It's about a 20, 20, 25-minute drive from Center City, Philadelphia, um, called the AMC Woodhaven 10. It's a great theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody out there, when we went to see The the Last Jedi there, said... uh, Uh, You, John Gruber, he's a listener of the show. I forget your name, uh, good fellow, but uh, I remember uh, meeting him and his, I think his girlfriend or wife. Um, It's a really great theater. It's one that you get reserved seats. They're all full recliners. Uh, They have uh, a great concession stand. It's not like you'd sit there and wait 10 minutes. It's like they actually want to serve you. They have a bar Mm -hmm. that serves uh, beer, so you can have a beer and watch a movie. It's just, I would just love to go there. It's a very clean place. I don't know how many years it's been open, but it still looks brand new. Great projection systems, great sound systems, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, we get there to the AMC Woodhaven 10, and I've got my pre-bought tickets and our perfect seats all picked out from the day before. And uh, it was telling me, instead of putting it in my wallet, which is what I've done in previous times, I didn't have that option. They said, just uh, use your credit card in the in the the Kiosk, And mm, th- mm-hmm. I thought, well, whatever, you know, I'd rather just use my, put it in my wallet, but what's the difference? And it says, uh, are you sure? It doesn't seem like you have any tickets today. And I'm like looking at my email or the confirmation thing I have. And it says two tickets for a matinee on the, I got the day, right? The AMC Woodhaven 10. Uh, and I think, well, I gotta have to go talk to somebody. And, and, uh, while I'm waiting in line to talk to a guy at the ticket thing, I stare closely at the fine print, and it turns out I bought tickets for a matinee of Ready Player One at the AMC Woodhaven 10 in uh, Michigan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so I look up... All the all the geolocation services in the world couldn't save you from that one.
0: I look up in the... Uh, uh, I was like, ooh, maybe I could just buy tickets for the same showing here, right? Problem solved. Mm-hmm. I'm just out 18 bucks. And uh, it turns out they didn't have another showing at that theater for like another two hours. And so I, I was like, well, I guess we're going home. <laughs> I will say Jonas was an extraordinary good good sport about it. It actually made me feel mm-hmm. very good about uh, his disposition and his his willingness to accept, <laughs> accept disappointing <laughs> what are the Uh, odds? I I, I mean, and you know what the problem is. Here's the the problem I made was I made a couple mistakes, obviously, but the problem was in the past, what I've done is I've gone to, I've used the Fandango app. You ever use this app? mm -hmm. I search, I search for a movie. And then from the movie, I search for the theater. And I, I've told this app that the AMC Woodhaven 10 is a favorite, but for whatever reason, it still sorts them by location. And like I said, it's 20, Twenty-five minute drive. I don't know how many miles it is, but it's it's by far. It's not the closest theater by far to us, to our house, and so I always have to scroll. So this time, instead of starting by searching for the movie, I started by <laughs> searching for the theater, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's where everything went south. And that's where everything went south. Well, you know when you when you launch Safari on Google or anything. I mean, you what do you use DuckDuckGo? You I use do for the most part.
0: I, I've yeah. I just realized I've got at least one device that's still set to Google as the default. I forget which one it is. Might be my MacBook yeah. Pro.
1: Yeah. So I will t- I will say this, <laughs> not to not to denigrate your use of DuckDuckGo, which I appreciate and understand what you do, but when you do launch Safari with Google as your default search engine, the first thing it does when you do a search is often ask for your Ask for access to your location. Right. And obviously it would it would just do this on an Android device, on an iOS yeah. device, at least you get a warning. Like, yeah. hey, you know, do you want to share your location? And you're like, no, I'm searching for food to bring my mistress. I'd rather not. Yeah. And to dismiss. Um, but you hit okay. And then of course any search you would have done for woodhaven cinemas would have probably most likely turned up the nearest one
0: yeah i even said that to jonas on the way i was like you know i was reviewing the mistakes i made one of them too was not noticing <laughs> the um i should have been suspicious when it wouldn't let me put it in a wallet but i who i just oh, who, right right i should have known something was up but I, I, who would so i that
1: theater didn't do digital yeah the one or in, the one
0: in michigan must not have a, a wallet scanner Or what if, uh, michigan's like 10 10 years behind <laughs>
1: everything <laughs> I only say that because one of my writers is in Michigan. I'm sure he'll hear this and love it.
0: <laughs> I really could not I
1: hate mail from Michigan. Work. Now we've
0: you know we solved the problem. We wound up going to a later show that afternoon at another theater closer closer to home, and and enjoyed the movie tremendously. Uh, really enjoyed it.
1: So you liked it? Oh, you I, enjoyed it?
0: I really liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, okay, did you see it? Sounds like something you would have. No,
1: seen. No, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I want to see it, but I hated the book so much hmm. that. I'm trying to like just work myself up to this place where I could sort of watch the movie. I have to basically have I have to bring two people to the movie. I have to bring myself, and then I have to bring myself that read the book. Huh. And <laughs> they're gonna, they're going to have different experiences of it. Well, you know, and so I'm going to have to bifurcate my logic about it. Yeah. Um, if it helps, yeah, it, I didn't really like the book. If much. it
0: helps, though, I've seen a lot of complaints that it's too different from the book. And Jonas mm. read and very much liked the book. And Mm -hmm. it was an interesting it was a very interesting post movie conversation with him because he he liked the movie, too. But was it Mm -hmm. it was like the first time he was really struggling, I think, with his disappointment that a book adaptation wasn't as faithful as he wanted it to have Mm been, Uh, Mm -hmm. even though he recognized that he liked the, you know. You know we talked about right. why some of the changes were anyway, I won't go on and on about it. Those
1: but. mixed feelings that many of us have had over the years, yeah. many, many times you know he's getting that first brush with that, like yeah. oh, the book came alive in my head, and I imagined all these things and um and I hear obviously that that some of the the plot particulars you know have been. Movieized as yeah. and you know broadened or or the, you know sharp edges blended blend down to be more you know quick and paced yeah. well and stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a but part. But the minutiae is what books are good at. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's yeah. yeah. There's
0: a so. there's a, you know like I, I don't think this is a spoiler. There's there's lots of stuff I could say about it that would be a terrible spoiler and so I won't. But mm-hmm. one of them is that there's there's a part of the book where the our our heroes have to like solve a puzzle of some sort. You know, and mm-hmm. in the movie it's uh, a car race. <laughs>
1: you know right it's like nail on the head prototypical movie stuff right Right. like when you go oh why didn't you like the movie oh well it dumbs things down how well instead of you know meticulously solving a decades-old puzzle they smash each other in the face with a board until (laughs) one of them dies
0: yeah it's it's effectively like the like uh the cinematic it's like the cinematic version of mario kart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a more violent a more violent version of mario kart it's really good it's a really good car chase it is very inventive yeah. it's it's good that's well, good oh here's my For other one yeah i'll have to reserve judgment until i see it all right here's my other opening anecdote that i just have to get off my chest and I, maybe if if this hadn't happened to me today uh, i wouldn't be so angry about it but I, I i literally lost a half an hour to this so i've got a uh our family account. We're on Verizon, but I also have mm-hmm. a fifty dollar a month prepaid T-Mobile account, which I use in mm-hmm. uh, like whatever Android phones I'm tinkering with. Uh, sometimes I'll stick that SIM into an iPhone. I'm always spooked about getting it st- stuck to iMessage, but you know, it's just so I can have a second phone. It, you know, seems like a reasonable right. business expense given the racket I'm in. I got a text. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I don't check that all the time because I don't. You know. I don't. It's not my daily carry. I don't carry two phones, so I turned it on mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend. It turned out I had a text from last week from T-Mobile saying that the uh, credit card I was using for my prepaid account had an expired expiration date, uh, mm-hmm. and I need to log in and update it. So I, I could, you know, put it on my list as crap to do on Monday. Uh, I log in, and it says your password has expired. You have to create a new password. Passwords don't expire. That's the dumb, right? And they've got these rules and the rules are, you have to have at least one letter. You have to have at least one number. You are not allowed to use spaces and it has to be between eight and 50 characters. Those are the rules. Okay. Um, So I start making passwords that fit these rules and I paste them in and, uh, the two fields and I hit update and it says, uh, uh, nope that's that's no good and i'm like well all the rules have you know they, the rules turn into green check marks as you type as you fulfill them like once you right. type the number right. it changes um mm-hmm. and i'm going nuts and it says it it just keeps saying the password provided does not meet t-mobile's security policy so i think all right maybe it's content blockers it's like they're they're verifying this with javascript reload without yeah. contact blockers Nope, same problem. So I think, all right, maybe it's Safari. I'll go to Chrome. I go to Chrome, Mm -hmm. log in, and I get the exact same thing. And I think, what the hell is going on? I was like, well, it's got to work on an iPhone. If I do it on an iPhone, everybody has, you know, they have to make their password thing work on an iPhone. Go on the iPhone. Mm -hmm. I start searching the web to see if other people have this problem. Is T Mobile's website down? But they won't let me do anything else with my account until I set a new password. Like, I can't skip Mm -hmm. this and go to billing. I'm telling you I spent half an hour on this, and I figured out eventually that they also don't allow uh, any punctuation characters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they don't tell you that. No, they don't tell (laughs) you. You have to discover that one on your own. It's not like a fun surprise. It's not
0: listed in the rules, and it's not given to you as the error when they let you, they'll mm-hmm. let you submit a password that contains uh, hyphens. Right. Like mine, the passwords I was trying, I, I tried Safari auto-generated the passwords. Suggested ones. Which have yeah, hyphens. they all have hyphens. And yeah. um, the other system I use to make passwords puts hyphens between the words because it's, there's so many systems that don't let you use spaces. I literally mm. lost a half an hour to that and that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard because it's actually less secure like they're the ones the stupid assholes who made me lose 30 minutes and they're the ones with a password system that won't won't accept punctuation characters
1: <laughs> yeah we gotta be you gotta be extra secure so we expire this password and now we're gonna make our passwords easier to guess uh,
0: it's just crazy
1: I, I really thought that yeah. I was
0: gonna have to like get a new sim <laughs> just
1: let it expire <laughs>
0: <laughs> Go buy a new.
1: I think I have. I'll, I'll be honest. I have had bad experiences. It wasn't the same exact thing, but I've had bad experiences with like prepaid and accounts and things like that. So I think I have three T-Mobile accounts because I I have abandoned at least one account okay. um, before because I couldn't get it to do. it. And in my case, I think it was, I think it was the iPad auto-generated account that really that caused my issues because mm-hmm. you know that thing where you get you buy an iPad. And it comes with, yeah, in the yeah, US yeah. anyway, yeah. it comes with free T-Mobile, like 150 megabytes, which is like, you open one web page yeah, yeah, these yeah. days, and that's, <laughs> that's it, you're done. Um, but <laughs> so it's open google.com with a doodle, and it's like, well, that's 150 megabytes. This Flash game in the doodle yeah, really yeah. boned you on that one. Um, but the... Um, that they create that account and you know you got to enter an email and password and all that or try to log in with an existing and it's like one of those things where you try to log in with your existing one and then like as you said you know, your password's expired or you haven't logged in forever because i have the same thing i have a prepaid that i bounce around you know and that um that system really led me to go like, uh, fine, I'll just put in the secondary email address. And now you can't log into that because I've like long since gotten rid of that iPad. It was either a, an Apple demo or you know one that I sold or whatever. Yeah. And so you have a bunch of vestigial T-Mobile accounts hanging out. I don't know why it's T-Mobile. I don't know if I'd have the same problem on other networks. But I already have accounts with those. I don't know. You know? Yeah. But yeah, it's a weird one. <laughs> I think they need to work on that. It makes me so mad. Or not. Maybe they like it. Maybe they think it's fun.
0: Uh, people are, I mean, people are such bad programmers. Uh, I mean, why would you make a system like this?
1: <laughs> and Did the- you see that T-Mobile tweet chain? No, uh, no. That happened this past week? So that, and I, forgive me, I'm not, I'm trying to hang out less and less on Twitter, but I did happen to see it as I was driving by. So I don't have the whole odyssey. So if there's some follow-up that's happened in the last day or so, a or couple of days, I don't know. But there was basically a chain last week that was started because somebody... Somebody said something about their password to T Mobile and they said, Hey, you, like, you, I was on the phone with your agent and they asked me for my password and were able to verify it. You know, and obviously, as you know, most modern companies don't even ask you for your password over the phone. Like, they won't. Yeah. Even if. You know, you call them or whatever. They'll ask for other verification components, like maybe social, which is ironic, uh, or other things. But they they generally don't ask you for your password. But I guess the agent asked him for his password, and T-Mobile was able to verify. The agent was able to verify that that was his password. And so at some point, the password was like in plain text. You know, where they could see, they could not hash, not encrypted in any way, where an agent couldn't just look up your password. Well, that's too many people to be able to look up your password, you know? Um, And then this thread trundled out, and I guess. Um, basically, it boiled down to T-Mobile was storing at least some of the password in plain text. I, I'm not exactly sure, or even all of it. Um, and the answer that the T-Mobile rep, and I, I'm assuming this T-Mobile rep is now canned, unfortunately. Um, not like I wish it on anyone, but they were responding to this thread. You know, you know how they do with the from the official T-Mobile yeah. Australia. It was Australia yeah. T-Mobile Australia account, and then you know with the little dash MC or. BR, whatever their initials are, you know, for the support rep, and they replied and they said, "Well, it doesn't matter if your password's a text because our security is so awesome." Oh, I did see that. I did see. It. I thought
0: it was a joke. <laughs> this is
1: real. No, I don't. I. It, I mean, it's real as far. I mean, unless it's an elaborate parody <laughs> oh, that I am God. not wise to. I believe it was real. And people, of course, at that point just exploded because right. at that point it's no longer about like trying to figure out the truth of, of how much of the password they could see. Like, can they only see the last four digits? And is that really secure? Is yeah. that a thing anybody should be doing? Right, you know? Right. Um And then, the, the, of course, the dialogue then went right on to, oh, really? You're, like, <laughs> you're claiming to be unhackable? That's your defense? <laughs> you <know? laughs> this is the classic stuff. I'm oh, like, my wow. God. They really need to get it together. Uh, hey, I should mention,
0: uh, before I forget, because I keep forgetting every week, uh, there is going to be a live episode of the talk show at WWDC. Uh, it will be nice. on Tuesday, whatever day of June that is, uh, at the California theater. Once again, um, uh, top, top people are working on this right now. Uh, I literally, <laughs> top, top men <laughs> <laughs> tickets are not yet available. Uh, but they will be soon. And I'm, I, I know <laughs> it's sold out very quickly, uh, the last few years. And that's very exciting. Uh, in a way makes me proud, but it also makes me very sad because I realize that there are a lot of more people who would like to be in attendance than who will be able to be in attendance. And um, we're trying to figure out the best fairest possible way to, to make it, you know, so sorry, (laughs) but I have no information to, to, um, to announce yet. And, and I guess, see, and here's the problem. Here's what I'm kind of stammering around is people know that, and what people, w- people want to know is they don't want to know how to get tickets. They want to know where to, where to go <laughs> to find out when I'm going to announce how to get tickets. <laughs> like what, right. it, what is the thing that they should right. be reloading constantly all day, every day? Yeah, exactly. And,
1: what should they have a monitor on? Yeah. Right.
0: And uh, at the one year, I did it by uh, announcing it in the middle of a, like one of the, like a regular show. And I thought, well, that'd be fun. It would make people listen to the show. But I, I think that was mm-hmm. a bad idea. I don't think I thought that through all the way because I think it made, you know, people started like, you know, they weren't really listening to the show. They were like dancing, you know, <laughs> quick download the show and like skip 15 seconds da, 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 until you get to the part. And right. so I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm very sorry about that. But we will try to live stream it. And I think last year's live stream was... Uh, pretty successful so hopefully our experience you know with a year of experience under our belt we'll do even better this year for those who can't attend
1: and yeah i mean the show was great last year great venue too that was mean, a fantastic i, really, I like that venue uh the loading was a little bit tight in there but after that i think everybody had a really good time yeah enjoyable. i have
0: to figure out how to do that too uh it seemed like because it's general admission and like if there was a problem with last year's show it was that everybody quick wanted to stand by the doors waiting for that you know we let people into the lobby and then we didn't mm-hmm. have the theater doors open and it, it, it might it might have been like a soccer riot or something uh <laughs> so i don't know i don't know how to deal with that
1: yeah but nerds don't riot so right. we're, you're fine right it's good <laughs> Um, <laughs> they're just used to standing in line Stand over here, okay <laughs> I always say,
0: I've gotten this uh, I got this last year from the folks The fine, fine staff at the California Theater And I used to get it at Mezzanine in San Francisco When I held it there Is after every show they would say You have the most nicest, politest fans Of anybody <laughs> who's ever been here So I, I hope we can keep that up well, That well, makes, me, to makes the, me very proud
1: The DF audience, yeah <laughs> Um you know, I, I have some as someone who has some experience in um, events and live events and ticketing and whatnot. Um, not, I'm by, nobody's expert, but just a suggestion might be you might want to release them in batches mm. at different times. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's you know, that, I mean, I'm sure you know this, but that's like a common thing with Dub Dub is that people go, oh, you know, you release release them at a really convenient time for the West Coast, but um, nobody else has a chance. Obviously, now it's lottery, so. Not a, none of that is really applicable. Yeah. But I don't know if you want to go full lottery at this point. You might end up having better success just like saying, hey, like, yeah. you know, I'm going to release one quarter of the tickets, you know, throughout the day, all day on this day. And that way, hopefully people will be up and have their coffee and maybe get a chance to buy the tickets. Yeah. You know?
0: I did that a little bit last year. I think I did two batches. So I might, maybe I should break it mm. up into more. But and I made a mistake last year where I, I broke off the main floor from the balcony. Um, Mm. and the main floor ones went first, I think. Um, but then I found out from the staff that they would, they would much prefer just general admission and they'll sort people. And so I shouldn't have done that.
1: No, oh, and the, yeah, they'll load them because right. that way it creates like a, right. cro- a log jam with right. like the people trying to get upstairs down. Right. Makes sense. I will
0: say from people who are in the balcony, I know it sounds better. It would certainly be more exciting. You know, everybody wants to be in the front row or whatever, but uh, it's a wonderful theater and the balcony is is really not like uh, second class seats. It's, it's really beautiful up there. So anyway.
1: Yeah, it's, it is a true theater. Yeah. So it is uh, meant so that the people yeah. on the balcony can have a great view and great acoustics. Yeah. It's
0: really a funny thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know if I was the first to have a live show at the WWDC. I, I'm not trying to get, you know, bragging, rights, Um, but I do think I was one of them. Um, and it's really cool now how many podcasts there are during the week at WWDC. ATP is doing one Monday, uh, Monday night. Um, Brent Simmons just announced that uh, his the Omni Show podcast that he does as a you know marketing person at the Omni Group. They're going to do one mm-hmm. uh, at the what's it called the Next Door Conference uh, right after the State of the Union. Nice. So right after the State of the Union Monday afternoon, there's going to be a, a show. There's a bunch more. The at Relay FM guys have I don't know probably dozens of shows throughout the week. But I think that's so cool, and it gives everybody, it gives people who don't have WDBTC passes a reason. Um, to go to San, you know, feel like you got something, you know, you're doing something other than just sitting around drinking and eating, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's, there's an ecosystem of events that has grown up around it. As you said, live podcasts, um, you know, the, uh, the fine folks at the layers conference, they yes. host theirs. It was right. Ac- I don't know if it's going to be at the same spot this year, but it was right across the street yeah. from the conference center last year, which must've been convenient for folks who wanted to bounce back and forth. Yeah. I don't think that the, um, I know Layers is happening and it's going
0: to be in San Jose. Uh, last I spoke to Jesse Chard, I don't think they have the venue nailed down. Like, I think it's in the, you know, possibly at the same venue, possibly somewhere mm-hmm. else. I don't know, but it's, yeah. it's a great conference too. Yeah. Um, uh, why don't we start <laughs> by taking a break? <laughs> I'll thank our first sponsor, <laughs> uh, the wonderful, wonderful people at Trace Pontas Coffee. Uh, Três Pontas is a family-owned coffee farm uh, in Brazil, and it's been in the family for generations, the Race family, R-E-I-S, uh, and for decades or they looks here, here's what it They say for over a hundred years and three generations. So it's the, this family has been growing premium coffee in Brazil for a very long time, over a hundred years, but until very recently in their deal with Tres Pontas, they only sold their coffee in Brazil to local roasters. So this is the first time they've exported. They've begun exporting coffee to the United States. You couldn't get Tres Pontas uh, coffee from this race plantation until now. Um, and it 's really, really fresh here it 's good coffee, but the big difference between a lot of places where you can get like gourmet coffee is um, a lot of times you buy it and it 's a few weeks old already, and it makes a difference like coffee even after it 's been roasted is is a produce it goes bad uh may not go like like rotten, but it just loses it just loses some of the freshness it really does make a difference um so when you order trace Pontas coffee uh that 's when they they like it's not sitting in a warehouse somewhere and then they go grab, you know, your order and send it to you. Uh, you place your order and then they roast some beans and stick them in a bag and you get like the next batch that goes out. So it's super, super fresh. And it comes with a date stamp on it. When it arrives at your house, you'll see how just how fresh it is. I just got one sat another shipment on Saturday and it was just roasted like three days before three or four days. Uh, just crazy, crazy fresh coffee. Uh, and there's two ways to buy it. You can go to their website, trace pontas, T R E S P O N T A S coffee or no trace pontas.com slash coffee. Um, and I'm telling you, it will be roasted fresh for you shipped out immediately. Um, and you don't have to choose between varieties. What you choose between with them is the roast light, medium, dark, and French roast really, really easy. It's so it's like one, they have one type of coffee and they roast it to different degrees based on your taste. Um, but the other way to get it is you can go to Amazon and search for Tres Pontas, and it'll be the first thing you see. And the stuff from Amazon is it's just they're just using Amazon as a front end. They still fulfill it. So you still get the same fresh roasted coffee right from the Trace Pontas people. It's not sitting in an Amazon warehouse. Just an easier way for you to shop if you're already an Amazon customer. Um, And all orders in the U.S., and I'm sorry for those of you outside the U.S., but you get free shipping in the U.S. when you order it. I don't know how they do that. Now, here's the special offer they have for listeners of the show. Uh, What you can do is you can sign up for a coffee subscription, and you get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks, your choice. Uh, One bag every two weeks is perfect for me, for one one coffee drinker who drinks coffee just about every day. Um, And when you sign up for a coffee subscription, you always save 10% off every bag. But listeners at the talk show can get an extra 10% off by using the code the show all one word, at checkout. So that means you'll save 20% off every bag in your subscription with that code. Just enter that code at checkout. So go there, sign up for a subscription. Remember that code the show, And you'll save 20% uh, off every bag in perpetuity. So there you go. My thanks to Trace Pontas. Go check them out on Amazon or at tracepontas.com slash coffee uh, you had quite a week last week. <laughs> we might as well talk about this
1: yeah first. a little bit <laughs> I guess so <laughs> uh
0: long yeah, story short week. Week. you got an exclusive behind the scenes uh I don't even want to uh, it's not a look I mean, you spent a couple hours at Apple right talking to their uh product marketing and their pro tools group uh did you do was it last yes. week it was last week when you went uh got it all put us together
1: yes. Last Tuesday. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me, you know, tell the story.
1: Yeah. So uh, the whole uh, premise was that uh, I was going to be in a room for a bit with um, four people from Apple's, uh, which I didn't know at the time, but learned uh, as I was there uh, from their Pro Workflow group. Um, the Pro Workflow group group is a new group that they've created um, inside and literally lives in the building uh, where a lot of their pro products are being um, sort of designed and built. And uh, that group is responsible for evaluating professional workflows to figure out ways where Apple hardware or software or a combination thereof is sort of not doing what it should or not being as efficient or as effective or whatever as possible. Um, And so the four people uh, from the group were um, all basically either hardware or software or oversight or marketing uh, from that group that kind of looked over, oversaw different projects uh, to do with their pro group. And so we talked for a couple of hours and then uh, went on a little tour of the um, system that basically, you know, got to see like, hey, where this is this is how we view um how we see pros using logic, and then this is how we see pros using uh Final Cut Pro, uh, and then some of the actual facilities where their where the Pro Workflow group is doing their uh workflowing.
0: So do you didn't know in advance that this what did you know it was going to be Mac Mac related? I mean how much did you know in advance?
1: Um yeah, I mean I didn't know a ton in advance besides the fact that yes, it would essentially be some sort of follow on to the year ago right. round table right um which you were at um where they basically said hey the mac pro is uh not gonna work right. you know out as we and knew we it need it to at, rest- right. yeah exactly at that point um and so we need to restart our thinking on this yeah. and and kind of start this project over so they i knew it was going to be a retrospective on that so obviously you know at that point, you kind of go like, oh, OK, well, if it's going to be that. So they're obviously hopefully going to be sharing some sort of information about the status of it, which they did. Um, and then also from there, it's a matter of like, OK, what's the rest of the time going to be? Is it yeah. going to be philosophy or whatever? And I ended up finding out who I was going to be talking to shortly before, um, which is always helpful. I always hate going into a room not knowing who it is because – it just like a few minutes to or, or some time, hopefully a couple of days. That's it's <laughs> to think about what good questions are to ask these people. It you because they do, they have wildly different jobs. A lot of them you it can't is, ask the same question to everybody. It
0: is standard Apple PR technique not to tell you who you're meeting with.
1: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: mm-hmm. I, I yeah I hate it, but it can be yeah. exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I mean, you got to be on your toes. You know, you got to walk in with, you know, hopefully with your thinking cap on and um, take the opportunity of the time to do two things. I and mean, yeah. one is, you know, get at the truth of what they're saying and get at the, you know, sort of, you know, read their angle and then interpret it in your own way, hopefully. Uh, but then also, theoretically, you're there to act as an advocate and an avatar for the audience, yeah. right? Like, that's your job. And you're not, you're not there to be like... You know, oh, what is you know what does Matthew want to know about this? Although I do take my time <laughs> to do that, yeah. you know, um, in these interviews, like I'll ask a question. It's like nobody on Earth probably cares about this, but I really do care about this. You know, I find this com- you know interesting. I would like to know the answer to this. But then a, a large majority of the time, you want to dedicate to, hey, if you know, in this case, all these pro users were here. You know, what questions would they ask? What would they want to know about? And you can ask the questions and you won't always get answers right? (laughs) or the answers you get won't always be, you know, as revealing or satisfactory as you want. Almost never simply because of the way Apple works. And that's fine. But I have, you know, you ask them, right? You you try not to be an idiot and um, ask intelligent questions, but also don't. You don't shy away from them. Even if you know that the answers may not be super satisfactory, it's important that they that they're asked. Yeah. You know? Um and did you know it was uh, exclusive
0: that it was you you were gonna be the only one there? Uh
1: yes, I did know that. Um uh, they did tell me it'll just be you this time. Yeah. And I said uh, okay and didn't say anything further in right. case they changed their mind. Yeah. <laughs> i'm curious what they were thinking
0: i like i've told you we talked about this offline uh for quite a while yeah um but i think i think you were a fantastic choice uh and if there had to be only one person to get it i mean it sincerely i would rather it be you than me uh because i wouldn't want to be responsible for reporting the everything that went on because it's just i'm just not Mm -hmm. good at it you know like that's just not what i do um
1: yeah, it's not like that's not what, that's not what gets you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> you're like you like I want to I want to like absorb it and then you know kind of spear it. I think that's your talent. Well, is that you're like I don't. Oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna throw my spear right at this point. Yeah, this is very interesting. Right, to me. and
0: I don't know how you got that story out from an all day at Tuesday briefings with Apple to 8 a.m. Pacific Thursday you know a very comprehensive story is out like i i i, ne- I would have had like three paragraphs written i i would i would still be like
1: looking <laughs> it was a rush there were some typos yeah. uh, um not, i'm ashamed to admit uh at launch but you know what can you do i yeah. only had one person's name misspelled um <laughs> m- many times in the piece but i fixed it pretty quick but you know it it is rough sometimes with that but you know you just kind of suck it up and do it yeah. i mean the the real kink in it is For me, like, the time that I do that, I love it, but it is – I am, in fact, stealing time from my – I hate to say this, but, like, my, I don't know. I don't actually mean that. I'm not going to say that. But, like, I, I'm stealing time from the, my other duties. Right. Uh, I was going to say real job, but right. that's not true. They're both my real job. But um, I do run a site, you know, right. and I have a lot of people ask questions about various important things. I mean, they're working on their own important stories about a variety of other things. So it's a balance. I always have to – I always find myself stealing time from that. Right. And then I was going to Pixar the next day. So I was like, uh, you know, I'll just write this now at <laughs> <Ed> midnight. <laughs> um.
0: Well, speaking of Pixar, one of the well, hold that thought on Pixar. I'll make a note of this. Yeah, the the it, we have to talk about the fact that one of the lead takeaways from this briefing was that they confirmed that the new Mac Pro is not going to come out this year. It it'll come out next year, um, and I think that took a lot of people by surprise. And uh, it took even. More people took it as a major disappointment. You know that even people who were like, "Well, I don't know. I know they didn't say 2018, but I sure hope they do. How hard can it be?" You know, blah blah blah. Um. So it, you know, obviously got that aspect of the announcement got a lot of attention. Um. Mm-hmm. But you and I talked about this. Uh, last year at the roundtable, who was there? It was me and you and Lance Ulanoff and Ina Ina Fried and. Somebody else, right? Uh,
1: John Pachowski. Yeah, sorry, John Pachowski from BuzzFeed.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a point, and I believe, I don't know, did you ever look at the transcript? I, I, my recollection of this was that you asked a question, like they said, hey, we, you know, blah, blah, blah. We hit the reset button. We backed ourselves into a thermal corner. We, we've, mm-hmm. we've got a very compelling pro version of the iMac for pros coming later this year, which we now know is mm-hmm. the iMac called the iMac pro, um, mm-hmm. but that we're going back to the, you know, the drawing board on Mac pro and, um, you know, it, and it won't, they said, and it won't, you know, this is something that will not ship this year. And you asked a question that said something about the Mac pro and at this point last year, quote unquote next year. And I believe that we, we were corrected and it, And the correction was, we didn't say next year. We said not this year. And, mm-hmm. oh, it's like, you know, so, and, and there have been people on Twitter accusing me of spinning this whole thing in Apple's favor because I've said this overall your story on TechCrunch about this whole thing is very good news for serious Mac Pro users. The part that I'm saying is good news is is not the part that the Mac Pro isn't <laughs> shipping this year. That's obviously <laughs> bad news. The part right. that is good news is all this stuff about the Pro Workflows group and how they're working hand in hand with Actual professional film editors and music producers and musicians in Cupertino in Apple's, you know, at Apple Park working hand in hand with them as Apple employees or as as full time contractors. If it's a shorter term thing so that they can learn and study what these people need, not just from the apps that they're using, but that they're actually these people are these true pros are informing the design of the new Mac Pro itself. And I think that is undeniably very good news. But this aspect about it not coming until next year, it's clear in hindsight that they were kind of setting us up for that. My my bottom line is that I think what they were trying to say is that we're shooting for late 2018, but, you know, it it could be 2019. So we're not going to say anything other than not this year.
1: Right, and you know my and uh, I did go back and look, and the the phrasing was definitely clear, or not. I shouldn't say clear, but it was definitely not clear, right. <laughs> that it was 2018, right, right. If that makes sense, right. And then I I I believe I asked for confirmation, um, and I, it basically it, it was like you know hey exactly what was said, and when you read what was said, it said it's not a product for this year, right. That's basically what they said, and that was in 2017, right. Yeah, and that that basically is a means that it it may not have been it may have been a 2018 product, but it also they weren't promising that, right. and clearly, obviously, it's not. They said 2019. Right. Now,
0: now so. the the trash can Mac Pro is obviously
1: um, you know it. It's How much do you think that they that the <laughs> they hate that in, in the product design group? They must <laughs> that, love that it's called the trash, trash can Mac Pro. <laughs> I mean, it must be ecstatic. I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. it's yes. The trash can back Pro. It's clearly
0: heading towards the trash can of history.
1: <laughs> the jet turbine, uh right. super polished, awesome Mac Pro. No, go
0: ahead. Uh,
1: <laughs> it, it, in addition to
0: its striking looks, it was mm-hmm. in architecture. It was a very unusual computer. It, it was not like the right. you know PC workstations from you know companies like dell or whoever else makes them and Mm -hmm. it wasn't like any mac previously made uh you know maybe in spirit closest to the cube uh, you know just in terms of density and and being like an artifact that you would really that you want on your desk. i mean they even said this at the introduction at the introduction of it that it's this is something you're going to want on your desk not you're not going to want to put it on the floor um, yeah
1: it turns out I want it on my desk it's just right I just don't but know. it turns like do thing with it. it
0: it you know the, the you know i, I it's it's simplistic to reduce it to just one thing but basically they mm-hmm. overlooked the at the time they designed it they overlooked the growing importance of gpus to pro computing and that there just was a mac you know there were just so many Gpu problems with people who have these mac pros and they couldn't keep up with the state of the art and they couldn't Mm-hmm. massively parallelized by adding more because it was designed for this very specific amount of gpu heat output and that's that's it um right and so they more or less told us this last year really i mean no mm-hmm. actually no more or less yeah, the about fr-
1: it he used the phrase mm-hmm. thermal corner specifically yeah that was federal and that was right? in relation to the gpu right we yeah. painted ourselves mm-hmm.
0: into a thermal corner um and so it was very, you know, and they didn't have anything to say about what what will the new Mac Pro look like other than they did use the word modular as an adjective, you know, that it would be a modular mm-hmm. design. Uh, but unsurprising, you know, it, it, it's given as it was, uh, you know, extraordinary how much information they gave us. It was extraordinary that they, you know, more or less admitted to a major mistake on a very uh, on a product that's sells to very few people. But it is extraordinarily important to them because it's, you know, mm-hmm. their livelihood is done on these machines. Um, I think there was an assumption on an awful lot of people's parts that they were just going to... Uh, You know, more or less go back to the philosophy of the cheese grater Mac Pros and we'll just make a big aluminum box and we'll just put the most powerful Intel Xeons that we can buy from Intel in there and have a bunch of slots for other stuff and um, call it a day. (laughs) You know, I don't think people are expecting it to literally look like the the cheese grater that uh, preceded the trash can. I'm sure they love all these terms. Cheese graters, trash cans. But if I use these terms, you'll know what I mean. Um, right? Like somebody on Twitter who is clearly frustrated, and I see it as they somebody like tweeted at me, and I did laugh. Like they're obviously angry, but I appreciated the joke. Is that they said that they could literally just put it into <laughs> into old <laughs> Power Mac G three boxes that they still have lying around, and I would be perfectly mm-hmm. happy. You know, go back to the old <laughs> Bondi blue uh, right. Power right. Mac G three boxes. Just as long as you stuff it to the gills with you know powerful workstation stuff, you know, it, it, I, I lost count of the number of people saying how hard can it be, uh, you know. And I think if what they announce next year is just a big, big PC workstation box, uh, you know, that's more or less just put a big, put everything in a big box and cool it. I, I guess we will have to ask, hmm, why did that take two years? I just get the feeling Mm -hmm. that they've got something else in mind. That no, they are not. You know, they are definitely going in a very different direction from the trash can, but that they still have very ambitious uh, plans for something that is not not just the Mac OS running on a workstation you could buy from Dell.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like not not an. Officially licensed Takintosh, so to speak, uh, of just uh, kind of generic parts. I mean, I know everybody wants like NVIDIA GPUs and they want them, you know, in a box and they want to maybe be able to add one more and then replace it when a new one comes out. And I I appreciate that. And I don't disagree necessarily. Um, I mean, I certainly I have a PC and I I use it for gaming. Um, I don't use it for much else, to be honest, because I can't stand Windows, but I as modern windows, especially like last version of windows. I like was like 95. It was, I use like, like it was okay. Right. Um, but the, the feature of being essentially feature of being able to replace that GPU and get an upgraded gaming experience for me has always led me to, you know, keep a PC around and say, Hey, if I want to play destiny at 60 frames per second, you know, with all of the, the water droplets and all of the cool stuff turned on, I can do that. and, the the fact is that i don't i don't see that as the way that apple is thinking about their machines at all um and i know obviously i'm talking about consuming games not making games but pe- people that build games use roughly this, you know similar hardware um i think that it is the the term modular keeps sticking in my mind because they did emphasize again in this chat uh, i asked i said you know hey you know obviously you know whatever you want to say about it or not say about it is up to you but can you characterize this modular thing how important is this is this, does this still stand in other words yeah. have you have you changed fundamentally your thought process on the Mac pro since we last talked. And the basic gist is the, no, we haven't changed the fundamental architecture of what we wanted to build since we last talked. Now, of course, I don't know how much of it they had done then, but you know, the, the arc of it seems to be continuing on whatever trajectory they had set, um, a year ago. Um, but they said that modularity was absolutely a core part of it, whatever it is. Um, I just don't know if the idea of modular that Apple has in mind is going to be the same modular that, uh, you know, uh, your average pro who wants a cheese grater with multiple slots has in mind. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot,
0: but so I'll just speak for myself. (laughs) And I will say that, yes, there are times when people at Apple uh, will answer my questions, but answer them off the record or on background or something like that. I will say on this on the whole IMAC Pro and Mac Pro front, um, everything, and it's it's extraordinary how much they told us, but everything that they told me about it was on the record. There I, I didn't know anything about the IMAC Pro before it was unveiled at WWDC other than what we wrote about from the round table you know last year that they have a just just had a a pro-minded config of the imac 27 inch imac in the works Mm -hmm. and they did say last year it would be later this year um and that they think it's going to be the most commonly bought desktop for professional mac use for the most number of mac users um Mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't know anything else about it. I don't know anything else about the upcoming Mac pro other than what is on the record. Uh, so I have no inside information. I don't have any little birdies who work on this, on that team. Um, so what I'm speculating here is entirely my speculation. This is not really, this is, there's no background information. My guess is that they decided that the trash can was a mistake a while before the round table, maybe even a year. I mean, cause they knew, they knew how many hundreds of uh, years that, that they'd gone without even like a speed bump. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, I'm sure that they were embarrassed by that. They certainly didn't let on that. They were embarrassed last year. I mean, they're Apple, they're pros, right. you know. um, but they knew, I mean, and so they must've thought, here's what I think happened is that, you know, obviously when they launched, the trash can. They certainly didn't anticipate that they were never going to do a significant update to it. Um, they, right. they thought this was the future and we'll update it. And then it turned out that the, Yeah,
1: they made a very strong editorial right. bet on the way compute was going right. and it just went left right. instead
0: of right. It went left instead of right. And, then at a certain point, I think they started working on this, the, what we now know is the iMac Pro. Because one thing we now know about the iMac Pro is the iMac Pro is not just a slightly faster regular iMac with black anodized aluminum. It is a completely different architecture, totally different thermal architecture. Um, mm-hmm. And it, you know, uses an entirely different class of CPU and GPU. Um, and, it, you know, the totally different thermal system is exactly why that was necessary right you'd put the, if you put the imac pros <laughs> internals into a regular imac it would melt it would it would it wouldn't work um i think that at some point internally their either their official plan or their this is probably the plan plan was that the the imac pro would be the pro desktop that we'll just stretch, we'll, we'll stretch it out with the trash can until we get this iMac Pro out, and then that's our new Pro desktop. And I think what mm-hmm. happened in hindsight, you know, I mean, I think at some point last year, or probably around March, I think it was probably right before they called us in for the roundtable, they had like a, a come to Jesus moment where they were like, you know what? Here's here's the type of pros who even this you know iMac Pro, which is shaping up to be a great device. Every, I mean, I haven't seen a bad review of the iMac Pro. Everybody,
1: no, it's very well
0: received. Very yeah. well received. And I think you know by by early last year, I think they were, must have been far enough along to know exactly how good it was going to be. Um, but I think they had a moment internally where they were like, but wait here's a use case, here's a use case, here's somebody who this isn't enough, you know, and that they're, we're gonna lose these people to Windows or Linux or other platforms because they need, you know, they need things that even the iMac Pro can't can't give them. And those machines are out there on the market, they just don't run Mac OS X. Um, I think they had that moment and then thought, well, shit, what do we do? We're stuck, we cannot, mm-hmm. you know, we can't make that happen in this enclosure. I think they I think that's when they convened the round table. I think that round table was convened very shortly after they decided to make a new Mac Pro. And I think that's why they're still not done because I really think that as of like the round table, it the the entire plan was like the words new Mac Pro Mat modular written on a on a notepad. You know, mm-hmm. yep. I don't know. What do you think about that with the the timing? I think my. T- I'm pretty sure that that's the timing. But nobody. I, I don't have any confirmation of that.
1: And so you're saying, like, like give me a, a Q, a quarter that you think that this basically this project started in earnest. You think it started like like Q Q two of last year? Yeah,
0: I do. Because when was our when was okay. our our roundtable March? Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it April?
1: Yeah, I thought April. April. April yeah, either late March or yeah. early April. I can't remember. Yeah. But I think early April. I, yeah. I
0: think that they started putting the band together to make it. You know, at like the end of March. You know, they're like, okay, yeah.
1: okay. So I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, and once again, um, I can't actually tell you in this case, like. You know, it's not like uh, I couldn't tell you if I if I knew, right? right. <laughs> like I don't know. You know, they did they didn't tell me. Um, they're not very keen on going. Oh well, we started this project yes. on this date and edited on that one. I mean, I I <laughs> one one person I'm um, um, and I can't remember who it is. So I'm not going to say the name. It's not like I'm afraid to say the name, but uh, one one person, one Apple uh, exec said during. The iPhone 10 roundtable that they had, they did an on-the-record one with a bunch of international journalists and a couple from the U.S. And one of the things that they had said, they, they explicitly said when they started, <laughs> basically when they locked. And one of the PR people there was like, ah! You know, <laughs> like they don't want to know when designs are locked and when they're shipped. Not honestly because the that lock date is all that secret or special, because it's really not. It's just like an arbitrary date where they're like, okay – You know, begin the things we can begin now. Um, We think we have this design pretty much set. Um, And it's more about not giving away competitive information. Like, hey, if we lock this, Apple was able to lock this in November and ship it in December of the next year or whatever, you know, that, um, that, or September of the next year, that information is maybe mean nothing to the average person to be honest like even if you were a reporter and you found it out and put it in the story the average person may not know or care you know who cares right it's like okay great you know it it took them uh, like nine months to build this thing all right but for another manufacturer or for an analyst this is incredibly valuable information that they can reverse engineer essentially into a lot of uh, additional competitive advantage you know competitive information that can give them advantages either in purchasing or manufacturing so uh, that that said there was none of that slippage here. Like they didn't say, Oh, we started the project in X and, you know, we're going to ship in 2019. None of that. So I, my conjecture basically is the same as yours. Also based on just my, uh, vibe and not any actual information. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, uh,
0: story like that was, uh, after the antenna gate press conference, uh, that must've been 2010, right? Mm hmm. Uh, because two thousand seven was the iPhone, two thousand eight was the three G, two thousand nine was the three GS. So two thousand ten would be the iPhone four. So there is the antenna gate press conference. I am out there. It's in town hall, um, and I I think they took about a dozen of us on a backstage tour, a lot like the audio tour. I told you this before, but we when mm-hmm. when we took that tour of their audio facilities for the HomePod earlier or earlier this year. Or was it last year? well a couple months ago um they took us on a tour of their antenna testing labs uh and it was guided Mm -hmm. by like their head antenna engineer uh really interesting really cool stuff but only about a dozen of us and then at one point during the tour somebody asked him and you know and and you could he did a great job he was you know and he he it's like a typical apple person is both good at their job and able to explain what they do very well and it's like i forget whose adage it is but um you know, that if you can't explain it in terms that a layperson would understand, then you don't really understand it. I don't know. It might be Einstein or it might be.
1: Yeah. If you can't explain. Yeah. If you can't explain it to a five year old, you don't understand it right. or whatever the case. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, you know,
0: did a great job, but obviously was not, not used to talking to the press. You know, it, you could see a sense of certain mm-hmm. nervousness. You know, Apple people. You know it int- you know they know it's their instincts, their instincts tell them you don't talk to the press, you don't talk to the press, and then all of a sudden, you know like Katie cotton is there and and they're like, "Hey, what would you think about leading a tour of the press <laughs> you know on the record mm-hmm. you know uh but somebody asked him how long they'd been working on the external design of the uh, iPhone four antenna. And he just said, Oh, about three years. Mm. And, uh, Schiller was on the tour, not speaking, but just walking around with this. And Phil Schiller jumped in and just, he was ready for it. And he just said, we're not here to talk about timelines. You know, he didn't like bark at him or anything, but I noticed that he like immediately jumped in and was like, we're not here to talk about timelines. Cause they just, even Mm. when they were like, Oh, us open the kimono here and let you see how we test these antennas and revealing all sorts of things we'd never revealed before. They don't want to talk about how long they were working on something.
1: Hmm. yeah and I, and I think that is an expectation thing like you don't want somebody to go oh well let me count backwards from next september and i think that's it's, when they started I, think on it's this I think it's competitive i yeah, think it's competitive it's all competitive, competitive. it's both yeah.
0: competitive in terms of yeah. letting it, competitors know how long they work on something and mm-hmm. for anybody trying to look at their strategy like you just said like look at the calendar go back three years what did it look like then hmm, what would have happened mm-hmm. then that would make them decide to do this
1: Hmm. Yeah. And even I mean even the layman now, I mean it, for instance the iPhone 10 thing, you know there was some stuff around that said on the record that basically told you like we've been working on this for 3 years. Um you know they very explicitly said things like you know this years it, it, the, that whole context yeah. uh, the context for that conversation was around the FaceTime or not FaceTime um the face ID thing, you know, and everybody was like, Oh, you just threw face ID at the last minute. Like all these reports came out and they're like, uh, no, <laughs> first all right. of all, you can't, <laughs> it's impossible. And second of all, like we locked this thing way before, like you, right. you even published your piece. So, you know, you know, and like that, that situation, I think is, it allowed us to see a little bit more of, Hey, this really is like, they're deciding these things three years ahead. And yes, they can't because they're nimble, they can make final decisions on things as late as lock date, mm-hmm. right? They could say, hey, this thing and and what I heard basically, and this is this is not on the record, this is not an official and it's not even off the record. It's just what I heard through people, right? Is that they they had very they had a phone without the the um the second camera in it. When they launched this, the two camera film, yeah, yeah. uh, what was that? Six or seven or what? Uh, I, they all blur together.
0: Yeah, might have been this. Whatever the plus was yeah. with the two cameras. Yeah.
1: They had one without, right? Because, you know, what if it doesn't work? Right. right. They had like a design ready to go. And then at the last minute, they're like, ah, let's just do it. Right. Like they felt they could do it yeah. and they felt they could get it done. And so they locked that design and essentially stepped off a ledge you know and eventually of course ship the twin lens but you know that that kind of you know it takes it takes guts it takes like a supreme handle on your supply chain it takes the ability to like inch that thing that kind of major decision later and later and later and i think the people that treat that as like oh they don't know what they're doing it really is it does a disservice to like the engineers actually trying to push the envelope right. as far as they can Uh, you know to the bleeding edge of what's possible and then they ship that thing that's barely possible and then people are like oh well you just did this at the last minute just for giggles and it's like no man you know no we had to try really really hard to do this and then we did it and sure like it works like 80% 80% as well as we say it does on stage, right? But then we get it there the next iteration and yada yada. Right. But anyway, I think that's the same kind of thing they're working on with this that if they're making decisions on the Mac Pro, I think that they, you know, they would have had to have made major architectural decisions a while ago now. Uh but I think they could definitely make some real gutsy calls still late in the game you know i think at this point those are done maybe maybe you got a couple more months to figure that out um if you're shipping 2019 and let's say you assume maximum potential like in other words they're going to ship it late 2019 i'm not saying they are they did not give any indication but if they're going to announce it like it's a dub dub and then ship it later in the year you know you figure right now it's not as—I mean, I don't know what the design is. Maybe it is, but I, I would imagine it's not as mission critical as like a smartphone to get right. you know that that kind of lineup done where you're doing that really fine tooth like you know 16 different components uh, coming together all into one component, which goes into another 250 components. I right. am probably not at that level, but it's still got to be pretty soon that they're locking that down. Um, and if if so, if they're locking it down in another four or five months, let's say, or a little bit more than that, they have a few months left to actually make major decisions about what they're going to do. And you know, if that's not the case, then they have figured it out and they're they're plowing ahead and whatever. They're just doing manufacturing, testing, and whatnot. But I don't think so yet. Yeah. I think they're not done yet. In other words,
0: yeah. And I don't think I don't think we're going to see a preview of it at WWDC. Um, i could be wrong i mean they obviously did it last year with the imac pro and shipped later that year and if they if i guess if they think they're shipping early 2019 they could um but i don't think so i think there's it's a different situation this year you know and i feel like with the imac pro they could show it and everybody knows what an imac looks like It, it you know the imac pro looks like an imac it's just black and therefore cooler uh Whereas I feel like they're doing something with this that they don't want to spoil too far in advance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. And one thing yeah. you have to recognize is when Apple makes a successful hardware product, all of a sudden, a lot of other competing <laughs> products start looking very similar. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Even if they have absolutely no reason to do right, so. <laughs> like,
0: have you seen all of these Android phones coming out with a notch? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's really yeah. like
0: it's like a, it's amazing. It's like a tag. Like I have like a tag in my. And a
1: lot of them, a lot of them don't even have anything special. Out no, there. it's just like regular cameras. <laughs> like you can just put a regular camera in the frame. Nobody's gonna kill you. You know what I mean? It's they've, they're copying
0: the worst aspect of the iphone 10 like in hindsight now months into it i'm fine with the notch I i i get it you know i still think though it's the worst part of the phone i i can't wait for them to figure out a way to do all this without a notch and just have the screen go edge to edge corner to corner um they're copying the the one part of the phone that everybody th- agrees is actually. I know. don't
1: think anybody Apple likes it either. No. I never had a single person tell me, "Oh, the notch is great and lovely, and we right. love it." Right. It was we, the notch needs to be there. We think the the cost of the notch, or whatever right. you want to call it, right. they don't even call it a notch. They hate it. No, when they you do. hate it. No, but that's that, another word that they hate. they call yeah, it the sen- they, hate they call the it the notch. sensor array. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, um, but they, that area. <laughs> <laughs> that area on the phone is there. Nobody loves that. It's there, including the people that had to put it there. Yeah. They were like, Hey, we could do this. What we think is a really awesome forward looking thing. And we could, you know, all of this kind of works. Like the corners could be used for things and we could push the rest of it edge to edge. And this is the way we chose to do it. And, and it makes sense completely with apple's design language that they're going to utilize those little corners instead of putting black all the way across right. because they're like we don't need black here so why put it there right that's their you know that's the gets to the core of what how they they design products and like that that whole thing was literally just in service of those cameras it was not by any means because they thought it looked cool right. And looked awesome. And so for somebody who has no need of it to put it there, it's like, you know, really? I don't know. It's like putting a spoiler on a minivan. The
0: Android phones that are coming out with notches are both the most like, uh, I I slap my head on the forehead. I I slap my forehead on the table like, I cannot believe they did this. And simultaneously, the least surprising thing (laughs) of the year. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love the stories. They had stories. The Verge had stories, I think, from... uh, was it Mobile World Congress, whatever the 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 big cell phone conference was that was a couple of weeks ago, where where these handset makers show off upcoming phones that haven't been seen before, and there were several right, of them. Yeah, MWC. Yeah. There were several of them that had fake iPhone ten style notches that didn't even have a version of Android installed that was aware there was a notch there. So they were. It was like drawing underneath of the notch, like <laughs> all those notifications <laughs> that line up on on Android. <laughs> right and it, it was awesome. one where like the, the the date or time was clipped <laughs> it's just <you're> like <laughs> what are you doing i can't believe it all right hold on a second uh, i'm gonna take a break the here fast follow i gotta take a break here and thank our next sponsor uh long time sponsor a fan you know supporter of the show casper uh you guys know casper casper makes uh innovative award-winning sleep products. Well, here's the deal. They've got a new mattress that they call The Wave, and it's their most innovative mattress from the sleep experts at Casper. It's the first mattress of its kind to relieve pressure at 36 different points so you can feel relaxed in ways you never thought possible. It features advanced temperature-regulating technology to help you sleep cool and comfortable without overheating during the night. It has five layers of superior foam, Including a cushioning top layer for maximum comfort, it's their biggest breakthrough in sleep technology. Um, and one of the things that they studied, and I mean this, they really do have mattress engineers. This is you know, they, they Casper doesn't just buy mattresses from some uh, you know Chinese factory and just slap a Casper sticker on them. They really engineer these things. And one of the things they looked at with the Wave is trying to create a mattress that works as well as possible whether you're a back sleeper stomach sleeper or a side sleeper it works great for all three types of sleepers Um me personally i gotta tell you i do all three i'm i'm a sort of a every two hours if i wake up i the only way i get back to sleep is to like change so i'll you know flip around or turn on my side or whatever so that sounds good to me because i'm all three um Now, the Wave is also designed to keep its original form, so you'll be supported for years to come. This is supposed to be a very, very durable mattress. Um, It's just a great product. I love these guys. Uh, Now, when you buy the Wave, your Wave purchase comes with in-home white glove delivery and setup for free. That's just part of the cost of the mattress, is they will just show up with a white glove team. And set it up in your bedroom just where you want it, just so. Um, and here's the best deal if you're a listener of the show, you can save a hundred bucks off a wave mattress by going to Casper.com, C A S P E R, Casper.com slash talk show 100. That's talk show because you're listening to the talk show, and a hundred because you're going to save a hundred bucks. And then just use that promo code, Talk Show 100. Uh, so Casper.com/talkshow100 with promo code 100. Terms and conditions do apply, but you'll save 100 bucks with that code. My thanks to Casper and a Wave mattress. Um, what is your take? What is your take on this angle that before we drop it of why why are they bothering to overengine? Are they taking? Are they going to just make a different type of mistake like the trash can Mac Pro by over-engineering mm. this and not doing? You know, they have the humility to admit they made a mistake and they're starting over. But is it a problem, perhaps, that maybe they lack the humility to just do the obvious thing? I, mm. I guarantee you there are thousands of people listening yeah. to the show right now who are saying, yes, that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just do that thing, please. And secondarily, and, and I, get, I get it.
0: Second part, second part of the question is okay, if you want to go and uh, have John Turnus and his team go off and build the supercomputer of Apple's. Um, ambitious dreams, okay, but in the meantime, <laughs> how about you just stick <laughs> a big z on in a box, call it the Mac pro, and <laughs>
1: sell it to me right right yeah put like put your b team on just <laughs> just popping this thing out <laughs> while your a team goes off and um you know applies quantum right. mechanics to aluminium right. and uh, comes up with something new i, I mean <clears throat> I think there's two major possibilities: one is that they are. In fact, figuring out the best possible way to build what we have considered to be a PC, you know, box, like a a tower computer, right? That's one possibility. They're just taking every angle of that thing and examining how could this be better? What are the problems? It's like when case manufacturers went from making you screw everything in to like – to those, remember they moved to those big, th- I don't know how many PCs you built over the years, but they moved to those big thumb screws. Yeah, I know. What you mean. And then, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then they moved from thumb screws to clip in. So like almost all modern PC cases now, you don't, they're called tool cases, right? You just, you get them, pull them out of the box. Mm-hmm. You can unclip all of the stuff that you need. You can pull out the motherboard tray. I think some of the, mostly the motherboards still need to be like punched in or screwed in because they've got the posts for, for, uh, you know, electric, uh, uh, insulation and whatnot but and standoffs from the the k metal cases and stuff but i think even some of those are clip in now and as you can clip in pretty much every major component like a hard drive and a and your you know all of this stuff but there are a lot of there's a lot about pcs that are still complete bs like cable routing is dumb it's so stupid Right? right like that you have to figure out how to route cables inside this case for work for airflow and i know some people like that's their that's catnip right, right. I mean, like i had a buddy who would route his cables for weeks before he actually finished his piece but he's be like he would route it and then like put it aside to come back to it the next day like hmm yeah <laughs> did I do a good job well, I, you know i get it. And it, I, it i get all that it's like but... people
0: who have a hobby like painting miniature figurines it, it I, yes i get it yeah. i don't i don't i i don't <laughs> have that hobby but i do I don't, I don't mock it. I I totally get how it might be extremely satisfying to spend days at a time on a single tiny little figurine and that you've got this Uh entire army of them ahead of you. Uh, and I think that for like the people who like building their own PCs, like you're saying, the cable, uh, management is, you know, uh, routing is, is sort of like that hobby, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, the airflow, the cable management. I mean, you know, testing your airflow and all that's figuring all that stuff out. Like, and those are, that's like self-built PCs, but I think a lot of the same principles apply to when you buy one. So if you buy one and you say, want to upgrade it, uh, it still requires that you open it up, that you have to look at a PC slot, that you have to look at a motherboard, you know, that you have to like figure out these, the guts of this thing and say, okay, well, what do I want to change here? And I know there are some pros that build their own PCs that are very vocal. You know, or or have built their own machines over the years that are very vocal on the web about how um, you know they they just want this thing this I, I, you know let me figure it out sell me uh, can go buy an Nvidia card and throw it in if I want to upgrade all this that's great but they they are also being myopic and they don't want to hear this and I'm sure I'll get email but. I I firmly believe that pros are some of the most myopic consumers out there on an individual level because each one of them is so immersed in their skill. They're incredibly skilled, incredibly uh, good at the thing that they're doing. They've steeped themselves in it. They've made the, their lives work to figure this thing out. And frankly, usually they're intelligent. They're driven. You know, they have a lot of things that kind of make them that kind of person but that doesn't necessarily come part and parcel with you know any number of other professional pursuits outside of say software engineering or even hardware engineering or engineering at large right like there are definitely pro pursuits that lend themselves to being willing or able or desirous of sort of being able to manipulate the innards of a machine You know, in that way, and then there are a bunch of pros in other fields who are just as driven and intelligent and capable, and and you know, just masters of their craft, who couldn't give a flying f about what what's inside the machine or how it looks or how to you know install a graphics card or want to do any of that, right? And so, I think you have to like one thing that I was told, you know, that they mentioned several times was that pros are an incredibly diverse bunch. You know, that the pros as a group are not a monolith at all. And that some pros may love the iMac Pro and that'll service them. Other pros do not want that at all. And they want this more modular design and that's understood. But the fact that Apple sees the breadth of that and I know that people think, oh, yeah, just give me this thing that I can throw a card in and it's good and it's all I want is power and all of that. But I, I believe that it is myopic to think that that is all all pros want and pros are a very diverse group that utilize computers to create art and to do finance and to do all kinds of things that could benefit from from more power and more capability and yes more expansion and modularity i just think that there's a discussion to be had about what form that takes and that maybe you know making somebody stick a new PCI card in a PCI slot is not the way to go about it. And I think that's basically the discussion that happened inside Apple, which is why we didn't end up with that or haven't ended up with that yet. Yeah. Uh, I I guess, you know,
0: I, I, I feel like it goes hand in hand with the EGPU revolution. Uh, Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't know, at some point, uh, not too long ago, the idea of an external gpu wouldn't even make any sense it would be like it would be like a line of dialogue on a on like cis and you'd be like oh my god who wrote that external <laughs> gpu what the <laughs> hell that wouldn't work you know it's not that right. long ago that it would have just sounded like they threw together you know some screenwriter threw together some words and <laughs> thought it made sense you know uh-huh. um but uh that was a that was a big part of what they were talking about last week with you right
1: yeah. So the okay. So the the shape of the discussion went from okay. You know we want to get this out of the way at the top, or you know recap. We want to get this out of the way at the top. Um, Mac Pro 2019. Um, you know still a modular design. Don't have much more to say about it now. You know that's what we have to say. The second part of the discussion was really about the Pro Workflows group, and the group is designed to literally hire professionals. We're talking award-winning um, uh, video editors, uh, award-winning. Um, musicians slash, you know, mixers, uh, uh, basically producers, audio producers, Um, people that that handle and manipulate and use Apple's products in their workflow. Um, They gave examples, of course, of people outside in the professional world that are still using them, Um, you know, people that are making music for uh, Star Wars movies and, and cutting commercials and, and Golden Globe-winning, award-winning TV shows on Final Cut Pro, you know, etc., right? Like, this, this is their ecosystem that they're thinking about in some ways uh, because it is in their universe, right? They make software that, that these pros, these types of pros use. Um, Logic, of course, Final Cut Pro etc but they don't they know that's not the complete universe of pros uh that's sort of just where they've begun and they've also begun a bit with uh 3d design as well uh and 3d uh work like you know AR, vr uh 3d gaming you know work in 3d spaces let's call it right and so that is kind of where they've begun their work to create this group and to have this group um create feedback and create you know, sort of theses that are then incorporated into um, Mac hardware. And the Mac Pro is absolutely being informed by this group. The iMac Pro was informed by uh, some of the work that this group did early on. And so like the, this is, it's existed for a while. It's not completely brand new, but they are planning on expanding it to encompass more arenas of professional use down the road. And that as a part of that, I got like basically kind of a tour, just a very small tour of a couple of of components of how they use that, um, and each were everywhere in that. Yeah,
0: I think it goes without saying, although, but it I guess it doesn't go without saying because I got asked by a couple of people after they read your story of, uh, well, that's great. I'm sure that you know that's great for movie editors and. And music producers but uh what about developers you know why don't you know mm-hmm. and i think what i think goes without saying is apple is full of developers you know they
1: i was gonna say like they're, they're probably one of the foremost customers of apple products right the
0: they you know uh, they don't need to do there's one group of pro users they don't have to set up a special te- team of people to study and work hand in hand with it's right. software developers like they've already got that like they're going to build something that is a great system for developers. And I will reiterate when when we had our uh, when the iMac Pro came out in December, and they were giving us you know had like a, a some press in New York, and we got to meet a you know see a whole bunch of use cases for the iMac Pro. Um, software development was a huge uh, a huge aspect of that. It was a big you know it was a big part of the the um, the tour. And it was in fact presented by an Apple engineer, somebody who works at Apple Mm -hmm. in in software engineering. But they even did, they even showed us things on the iMac Pro. And presumably the Mac Pro is going to even be better at this. But even things that weren't just like, uh, well, everybody at Apple is using Xcode and building uh, iOS apps and Mac apps, but they were showing us, you know, like the workflow for like a web developer who's, Running virtualized. Yeah,
1: here's three VMs. Yeah. Here's a bunch of running oh, copies of Chrome right. running. Here, yeah. yeah,
0: here's like three VMs running Windows and running Linux and running another version of Windows and running you know different uh you know different browsers and different things and doing all these automated tests and you know here's here's the whisper quiet not hot iMac handling it with aplomb. So they've got developers mm-hmm. backs. Uh,
1: Any hint? Yeah, and and then other areas, you know, those will come. And so, if you're a game developer and you're like, oh, you know, they don't understand my 3D needs. Well, that's what this is about. They hired literal game developers. They hired literal, literal, you know, uh, technicians that use this stuff to their maximum potential to have them create real projects. To, you know, utilize them in a way that they would in their real life, in their real workflows. Because engineering test cases often do not catch or do not highlight the problems that come with an organic workflow. No. And that is the core tenet, I think, of this.
0: Yeah. I, one of my favorite anecdotes in your story, uh, I think it was John Turnus telling you, but that they realized after they brought this this these people in and they had one of the groups is a bunch of 3d artists people you know i guess making stuff for games or maybe visual effects people probably similar Mm -hmm. workflows but 3d artists they're doing real work there at apple and they observed that one of the i don't know what he he wasn't going to throw the whatever the software package is under the bus but whatever software package they're using there's a palette that they open and it turns out professional 3d artists open this palette like 100 times a day and it took mm-hmm. like what do
1: you say like five seconds every time like, like six six seconds to six to ten seconds or something to open right every so time. that's
0: a six second delay to do what you want to do a hundred times a day. And even if he's fudging some of the factors, even if it's only three seconds and maybe you will only open yeah. it 25 times a day, that still is the sort of thing that it really annoys you. And so they yeah. like dug deep into it and it turned out it was all the way down at like the software driver level where it had to get fixed, mm-hmm. but they fixed it. And now it's like they hit the key to open the palette, and the palette is instantly there.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of you know the, the I was obviously an anecdote. It didn't seem prepared. Maybe it was, but you know that kind of anecdote is like a an example of hopefully the things that they are trying to suss out. But it speaks to something larger, which is that you know they when you no it doesn't matter how many like listening tours you go on, right? Like you, when you get into a room with Apple. As as a developer or as a you know software engineer or yeah software engineer or as a audio engineer or as a as a um, an editor you know film editor or whatever if you get into a room with Apple and they're like okay tell us you know what you want right you're gonna go big picture. Right, you're going to go like, oh, I'd love for you to support this format, or I'd love for you to, you know, to launch uh, a version of it that supported, you know, my this my dream feature, or you know, whatever. And that's great, and feature requests are wonderful, and yada yada. You know, it's good to have that input, which is why they do those listening tours. You know, they go around, you know, listening to professionals uh, external to the company, but it. It cannot give you the same insight into an average workflow and how that workflow is being negatively impacted. Or frankly, it could be just fine and they could be finding massive ways to improve it or it could be telling them, Oh, this is how people use their machines. We can lean into this, you know, for either future hardware or future software um, updates, bug fixes, features, whatever. But you can't get that in a, in a, hour-long conversation or whatever with some pro randomly you have to bring them in house you have to get them to sit down and do their work and the problem as was brought up to me was with that is that these people are working on proprietary stuff and you cannot ask them to just bring the footage of the next season of game of thrones to apple (laughs) and edit it there (laughs) <laughs> they won't they can't do it right it's not possible they won't they are not allowed by any way shape or means and so they that's the reasoning they felt for bringing people in and i don't know exactly what projects they're shooting or whatever but they're shooting literal movies and stuff at apple and editing them there and that that is you know informing of course their their understanding of the workflows yeah. that these people go through
0: Any hint from them? Because one thing they revealed last year at the roundtable was that, in addition to deciding to work on an all-new Mac Pro, they were also at the same time working on an all-new Pro display, standalone display. Um, any any word on that? I, I didn't see anything in your story about it.
1: No, you know, I didn't mention it simply because I did ask, and they basically said yes that you know it's coming, which we already knew, you know, or at least they had. They had said that it was it was coming a year ago, and there was no major change. So you know, editing you got to yeah. leave something out. You know, yeah. usually, and so no, basically yes, but no, no real yeah. uh, uh, just, additional just information confirmation there. that that's still part of the plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't
0: expect them to give you the details, like you know, oh yeah, it's going to no, be. Eight. there
1: was a there was a teleconferencing screen in the room that was like. I don't know, twelve feet across, and I was like, "Is this the one?" <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "No, no."
0: <laughs> do you, Do you think it's possible that uh, it could be an eight K display?
1: Um, i I think it's absolutely possible. Um, I mean, I think the hardware is capable of driving it. I think you could drive an eight K display off of a MacBook Pro with an eGPU. Right. You know, if somebody is a film editor and they want to edit eight K, and I, I I will say that they. Emphasized that final cut pro the performance improvements after they stripped it to the bolts right mm-hmm. a few years ago and have slowly built it back up the performance improvements um which they demonstrated for me in their edit bay there uh, one of their edit bays um after cleaning it out uh, basically it seemed very sterile for an edit bay if you know edit bays they're notoriously dirty <laughs> with food and everything, right. everything everywhere and um that but they showed on an ak display You know the iMac Pro handling all of these streams of uh, simultaneous um, footage. You know, eight K footage, color graded, non-rendered live. (laughs) You know, footage. I think uh, which is amazing. I think the new display is
0: really great. I don't know how big it'll be, but I think it's got to be eight K because I think they just want. You know, five K. They've done. They did that years ago. You know, like and it's still. It's yeah. I I still am using uh, my original. Generation iMac 5K, you know, like the first iMac 5K that came out is still my daily, that's on my desk in my office, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've done that already, you know, so I kind of feel like, yeah, if and they-
1: they're, I mean, the AK TVs are out there, you right. know what I mean? They're, and I'm not saying they're everywhere, they're not abundant, but they are, you know, yeah. the displays are out there. I think even Dell has an AK monitor now um and the tv that they showed me was 8k and like 8k hdr is what most people are like editing in or most you know modern modern shooters who have like these red cameras and other high-end cameras and then you know everything because then you can master it down to anything and it looks amazing you know um but you have it's future-proofing you know you have that archive um, as a let's say you shoot your movie, your feature right. film in 8K, uh, you're able to then, you know, in ten years right. or six years or five years or whatever, um, remaster that and offer it as an upgrade. It's the same thing that happened with 4K. Yeah. When you know Apple said, "Oh, hey, iTunes can support 4K now," and all these studios came out with 4K stuff pretty quickly. Well, that didn't happen you know because they like figured out a way to make it 4k it happened because they shot it very or scanned it from film at very high res and then were able to offer that stream pretty quickly
0: i i keep thinking in the back of my head that i sort of hope that what they're building is a modern day mac 2 fx the mac 2 fx was sold Mm -hmm. from 1990 to 1992 it was the fastest mac ever made at that point and it retailed starting price was not nine thousand dollars so it it was priced from nine thousand to twelve thousand, according to Wikipedia, and which, a is, bargain. which is how I recall it. I just recall it was some number that made me want to die because <laughs> I was a, <laughs> I was picking up my brand new Mac LC <laughs> with a, <laughs> uh But the, the basic idea of what I all I mean by it is: let's make the fastest computer we can make right and right. we've got right you know if if $10,000 computer is out of your budget we have other we have great iMac systems for the desktop that start at a very reasonable price um you know let's build a machine for people who have the money and the need professionally to get something a, a truly extraordinary like what could we do if we made a $15,000 Mac Pro you know mm-hmm. i'm not suggesting that would mm-hmm. be the starting price i'm just saying uh, you know, but what if the starting price was quite higher than the iMac pro because it's so, you know, and, and that it's worthy on the, on the performance front, like the Mac two effects, you look at it and I'll put a link in the show notes. It was from the beige box era at Apple. It was, didn't really look all that much different or, and it certainly didn't, I wouldn't even say it looked better than other Mac twos, you know, in the Mac two family. Um, but the performance was extraordinary. Um, you know, and for some people that was worth it. But the other thing that made me laugh is talking about 8K displays is look at the display on that picture from the Wikipedia thing. I think that's just – I don't even know what display that is. I don't think that that's a 13-inch display. It looks like it might be like a 12-inch display. like, And it has this big bezel –
1: it's so, like, displays have gotten so much better. It's so, it, or bigger. Well, the entire width is, the entire width of the display <laughs> is 18 inches. I know. So it can't, right. it can't be much more than 12. Right. It's, you know, I, I
0: I think, I might be misremembering my timeline, but it might be the case that in 1990, there still weren't such things as 17-inch displays. Or I guess we had 15-inch for a while, too, but 13-inch might have been all, <laughs> the most you could get. Oh man! You could buy a ten thousand dollar <laughs> computer, classic. a ten thousand dollar computer in nineteen ninety dollars. <laughs> so it's probably yeah. at least at least like a fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollar computer in today's dollars. I don't want. I don't even care. Yeah,
1: Wikipedia says that the it was equivalent to sixteen thousand eight hundred in twenty seventeen. All right,
0: there we go. So it's a seventeen thousand yeah. dollar starting price in today's dollars, <laughs> and you'd use it <laughs> with a display. The si-
1: pros, are you ready? <laughs> With for Apple's eighteen thousand dollar
0: Mac Pro, right, and the you, the best display you could get was the size of an iPad Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and and about one one sixteenth of resolution at the most. Yeah,
0: what, like six forty by four eighty probably. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, not even resolution technically CRT, but um, right. Yeah, I mean, oh I, my I, God. I, I think that there's, I think there's an opportunity here to look at this, and, and you know, I. I digress back to what I said there was two ways they could go and one way was like hey what's the best way you could build that box like what if what if you could just slide the card in from the back and it would make contact and it felt beautiful to do and they were able to convince AMD uh, or um, or NVIDIA to like you know change the architecture slightly on the cards so that they work better with the machine and you know whatever right who knows what they could do with their leverage you know to make these experiences of having this modern machine feel as good as possible this like the modern cheese grater let's call it right um you know can't cut your fingers it's impossible <laughs> um don't have to screw anything in you know you can clip everything in uh dead silent you know whatever whatever the cake water-cooled you know, etc. But then you, the other way you could think of it is like, Hey, what if, you know, the, cause they were very hot on eGPU right now. And yes, uh, admittedly it had just shipped, you know, support for it had just shipped. And so they were highlighting it for me, just like, Hey, we've got you here. So we're going to show you a few things that utilize eGPU, which is totally understandable. Um, one of the demos that I got was this, you know, kind of insane, uh, you know, detailed. I mean, it wasn't that insane. It's like a a typical graphics card stress test type thing, but it had like a planet with a bunch of asteroids around it that were actual geometry, not a particle effect. Mm-hmm. And um, they pushed that on a Mac on a MacBook Pro, and obviously very poor frame rates uh, on a MacBook Pro natively for a stress test like that um, using the internal graphics card. And then um, they did a demonstration, which was fairly impressive. If you know anything about the way that. Um, systems, uh, recognize graphics cards. Um, if you remove a graphics card from a system, uh, usually the computer crashes just immediately. Cause it's like, I have no idea what, what you just did to me. You've just right? taken, it off, doesn't, taken off one of the lobes of my brain. Yeah, exactly. It, it would be like, yeah, I was you separated. <laughs> yeah. Right, i was using it. the rest of your brain's like hey 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 right um so you know it's immediate shutdown just falls over like a ragdoll and it's like i i don't whatever man i'm i quit and so what the uh, what they demonstrated though was um they had two egpu units uh one with a like an amd 580 or something in it and then the other one had the vega part uh the one that's in the imac pro or something like it uh i think they said it was the vega part so um but that basically is like one of the beefier gpus you can buy and so they had those two lined up um you plug in one it takes over the rendering um obviously it hands off um any modern application um uh, you know, relatively new application built for OS X, um, either, I can't remember whether it works out of the box or whether there's some small change you can make to where it understands this. Um, but they also said, actually, I'll I get to that in a second. But yeah, so that, it'll understand the handoff and says, okay, I'm um, stop, I'm going to quit using this GPU here on board. I'm going to start using this one. And then they had a, a monitor plugged into the back of the GPU, the eGPU. And then of course the monitor comes active and it's pushing that monitor, hmm. um, and also pushing the content on the on the MacBook. So it's actually really clever the way they handle it. Just one Thunderbolt cable, boop, right? Just plug it in. You now have a new GPU. You unplug it, and if it's an older application, it just it just just. just destroyed. And if it's a new application, it completely it handles it fine. They actually have a dialogue for older applications where it says, hey, yo, you know, (laughs) this if you want to if there's like, you know, a little GPU icon that appears in the bar and you you eject it. You know, you click on the little icon and eject it before you unplug it. And when you go to eject it it says wait You're going to want to save anything you're doing here because the moment you unplug this, it's going to go into psychosis and just quit, you know, just crash on you. Um, And I told them, of course, nobody has ever removed any peripheral without first ejecting it properly. So this is going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) There's no problem here at all. Um, But newer applications will handle it gracefully. You unplug it. There's a small, essentially a suspend, and then it says, hey, I'm on a new machine now. That's literally the thought process of the, of the app. It says, oh, you just opened me up on a new machine that's new, configured differently with this new graphics card. And then it takes off and, and unsuspends and goes from there. It's like a save state. Um, but it happens incredibly quickly and gracefully from what I observed. Um, but then they did one further, which is that they plugged in two. So they plugged in one that was the 580 and then one that was the Vega and so you have two Thunderbolt ports, essentially, and utilizing the bandwidth of those, you know, beefier controllers, um, which is the whole reason they went with four Thunderbolts and not legacy stuff, uh, which, you know, some people will complain. And whatever, I'm not your complaint department. Um, but the <laughs> – the, well, I mean, I got a whole bunch of flack on Twitter. Like, why? You know, I don't use eGPUs. And it's like, well, I don't know. You may. You know, you never know, right? right? Like, maybe you will. Um, Anyhow, yeah, that's the decision that they made to enable this kind of thing. And they, um, they plugged in both parts. They fired it up again. And of course, you know, you could see that the, the most powerful one takes over and Mm. it says, Hey, this one can handle the most load, but then they loaded up, uh, cinema 4d, which is a, uh, 3d rendering application that is used by visual effects people uh to render scenes from movies or high-end commercials and things like that and you saw that uh we saw that together uh at the imac the The highest uh, they were saying hey but
0: literally the highest of the high-end visual effects i mean i'm I'm not saying that there aren't competitors to cinema 4d i'm just saying that there are people using cinema 4d to make uh you know movies like star wars and you know whatever else you want to say
1: Right, exactly. And so the way that it worked is you plugged in both GPUs, and you had the machine, and then you told the window, the viewport, um, which is the way it works in 3D software, you tell a viewport to start rendering, or you tell it how you want it to, to render. And so you start the viewport rendering, and then what happened is they actually had three little thin green lines that popped up on the screen. And this is a Cinema 4D feature, right? It's not an OS 10 feature. But it, the, the green lines, obviously, supported by OS 10 popped up on on the viewport and it essentially showed you a a slice of the viewport was being given to each gpu and i i asked them whether it was like this was allegorical you know or actual Uh, and i think it's actual but if somebody out there wants to correct me that's totally fine you know that's that's all good Uh, but the Basically, a a small sliver of the viewport on the left, which was, this was a car dashboard that they were rendering, Hmm. a picture of a car dashboard. And so the small sliver on the left, which is just a strip of like pebbled, you know, plastic texture, was being rendered by the GPU of the MacBook. Then a larger chunk was being rendered and it's like, you know, everything to the right of that green line is being rendered by the 580. And then the largest chunk of the viewport was being rendered by the, the Vega part. So <laughs> it essentially allowed you to like utilize three GPUs at once just by plugging them in and then it would apportion out the work right. um, to whatever, you know, load that those each can handle. <laughs> I I, like, I fact- just
0: like the idea of the of the built-in uh, – was it a MacBook? Right.
1: I love the idea of the yeah, MacBooks. It was a MacBook Pro. The MacBooks yeah. built in GPU. It's like, I can help Alice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was basically it. It was a tiny sliver. <laughs> like, it was like, hey, I can pitch it. In. Was like, I got, yeah, let me let me help out, guys. Um <laughs> You want me to get you <laughs> <But> coffee? That, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'll I'll handle the notifications menu. Right. You know, like <laughs> Give me the notifications. i c I'll handle those for you, boys, if you get an iMessage message so, while we're doing this. Um but that that was very interesting to me this philosophy of like hey you know how much compute power do you need gpu wise you know for a gpu bound uh instruction and and you can have that instantly and not have it when you don't want it When you want to move away from your desk or walk away or carry your work with you or whatever, it's not about like okay, I got to transfer files and do all this stuff. Like if you're doing truly GPU bound work, you can get a MacBook Pro and still do that work, which is amazing. And if it's especially if it's not very CPU bound, your two year old MacBook Pro with Thunderbolt, you know, by the time eGPUs really get out there, your two year old MacBook Pro with Thunderbolt three is an immensely capable machine for rendering work and stuff still like they effectively extended the life of people's macbook pros massively yeah. or enabled them to do things that they they wouldn't be able to do otherwise and it works for everything it works for gaming like if you got a macbook pro and you want a game there's this company that makes this little puck thing that you can take with you and plug it into your machine in a hotel room and boom you got a gaming rig and that works you know? that works now and that works today? really cool yeah yeah it just the os 10 the latest update to os 10 enabled eGPU gpu support <laughs> apple has two pages up on the website about it one that's developer focused and then one that's consumer focused so you could check on the website um i don't know what the exact urls are off the top of my head right. put in the show notes or right. whatever um uh, but yeah it, it's basically like hey here's you know take your machine running the latest version of os 10 that obviously has the ports to uh support it and You're golden, you know, plug it in and it'll know what to do. It'll take over that. Obviously, if you have stuff where the CPU is handling a lot of uh, additional computation, it's still being limited, you know, to you and uh, to, to the age of your computer. But the fact that it can say, hey, give me this beefy ass job. I'll figure out which GPU to throw it to, whether it's the one on board or the one off board. Uh, And you plug this into your fantastic high-resolution monitor, put your uh, MacBook in a clamshell, and it's like you're using a much beefier machine. To me, seeing it live and the way that they're just swapping in and out and all of that, it says a hell of a lot to me about the way they think about modularity. Yeah. So I don't know that the new Mac, I mean, b- don't believe me, to be honest. I say all of this and then I'm like, don't believe me because I was the person who, <laughs> when the original Mac Pro was coming up, the trash kid thing, my feeling was like, oh, it's going to be module, all modular, right? And like, they're going to, you're going to plug in your GPU if right. you want it. And, and hell, maybe even the, the cinema display will have its own GPU, which that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Cause then you got to replace your CPU, your, your cinema display, you know, so don't listen to me about this, but. I did find it compelling and interesting you know, to see that happen live. Right. I thought it was cool.
0: And it does sound philosophically Apple-like. Apple likes to ship devices that you don't go inside. And I'm not saying that you're not going to be able to open your Mac, new Mac Pro. I mean, uh, I'm not. But I'm just saying if most of the quote-unquote modularity is a Philosophically, about plugging in external GPUs and then other external things, that sounds more mm-hmm. Apple-like to me philosophically than put a card in a case. You know, shut that machine down, unplug right. it, uh, put a card in a case. Hot swappability—just plug it, unplug it. You know, you're doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that requires uh, you know the best external GPU money can buy, but you're you've got to get out of the office because the uh, cleaning people are coming through, going to be running vacuum cleaners and stuff. So you just unplug, go to a coffee shop for an hour and work on something, an aspect of the project that's not GPU intensive, you know, you're like at a wireframe level or something, um, but that you just un- <laughs> unplug it and pick up your MacBook and go. <laughs> that's actually mm-hmm. kind of amazing. Like you don't have to save, yeah, like you said, it's nuts. you don't have to save... Shuffle the files around and switch to a different machine because now you're on a MacBook and open this thing up and, you know, you could just go to a different part of the building and, you know, uh, just keep using the machine.
1: Right. And you could do setups like a lot of the stuff they talked about. Some of it was with logic as well. But a lot of the stuff they talked about was, um, you know, being able to, to do setups and things like that. I mean, think about it like uh, from a, a rendering perspective, like the MacBook Pro can handle a decent amount of geometry you know in bare polygonal form right or wireframe or whatever so you could do a lot of setups and play around and all of this stuff and then when you're ready to render you have that at your fingertips but it doesn't mean you need it all the time yeah. and in fact for bigger units where you have like you know two GPUs plugged in and you're you're rendering or you're you're basically treating it as a rendering farm a miniature one and i was talking to some smart people um And I don't think it's, I don't know if it's secret or not, but I was basically talking to some smart folks that work at like Pixar and whatnot, and they were saying that there's probably a really nice market in between a company like Pixar that has its own render farm or another VFX house which uses AWS or one of the bigger server services like Google's, um, which a lot of them do now, Um, and then. Then the, all the way down to the person who's just using their onboard GPU. In other words, there's probably a really solid mark, market, long tail market, for people that need GPU bound instruction stuff work done that you know want to build their own miniature render farm. And you could do a render, you know, build a little render farm for yourself with just a few of those GPUs for a few grand, and have quite a good time of it, you know, turnaround wise and getting your proofs out and all of that. Even if you used for your final render, you used a bigger farm, right. you know, or, or spun up servers. You could definitely get your dailies out of that, so to speak. Right. Right. Um, so it's it's very very interesting, compelling for for certain types of pros.
0: What do you think? I, I, this is where I'm going over my head because I'm not a gamer. I'm not a 3D professional. Um, what is the deal? So like, the, even the iMac Pro comes with Radeon, the Vega uh, 56 and the Vega 64 graphics processor. What's the deal with Apple's relationship with NVIDIA? like because it, it seems to me like there's some people who prefer nvidia for i, I don't know if it uh, but it, it it's like apple's never really had a good relationship with them wasn't there a thing like many many years ago in the steve jobs era where nvidia blew a um there was like a mac coming out with an nvidia card and nvidia pre-announced it before apple did and they were like <laughs> screw them <laughs> that
1: <laughs> i don't remember that I, i'm sorry i could I don't be misremembering
0: but at uh, <laughs> what what do you make of that? Is that is it is it a thing or is it not a thing?
1: You mean like the Nvidia versus Apple type thing? Yeah. Or and it, like, does um, does the
0: new Mac Pro need to support Nvidia? Uh,
1: oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I mean, I sure as heck would like it to. I mean, I think that there's a lot of you know, Nvidia is thinking correctly about a lot of stuff, and they they are smart. I mean, I, they. The (laughs) Nvidia and all GPUs sort of got really kind of blindsided by the cryptocurrency or crypto industry at large, Mm. Um, you know, and they they really, you know, it steamrolled in and really skewed the prices and availability and everything of all these cards. And so I think they're still kind of dealing with being that and trying to establish a place for themselves among purpose-built AI processing as well, like AI CPUs, um, because. CPUs that are purpose built for AI or or co processors that are purpose built for AI is a huge thing and it's gonna be like the next big wave in chip growth. Um at least that's the conjecture. But I think that they are they are in a position of strength when it comes to games and gamers and all of that. Um because they but they do support, you know, Mac, right? Like they and they have for a while. The NVIDIA GPUs have supported right. Mac since um I mean, like, early last year, I yeah. think there was a nice wave of, like, additional support from that. So I don't think that there's any acrimony there. Um, I, I don't know if it's an absolute must that it should right. support NVIDIA cards, but I sure as hell would hope so. Um, I, I would say that, like, you know, if e- eGPU that's NVIDIA, like, there's no reason that should work any different um, from an, a- an AMD eGPU that you plug into your um dear machine so i'd say it's a must that that works but i don't know whether or not they will use the part if it's of that model where the cards are internal right. you know it, they may just go with one partner and that partner at this point will probably be AMD. i mean it's on the wall right um the alternative is of course is that there have been rumblings forever that apple wants to build their own gpus yeah but i think that will come very 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 far down the road for anything but their smartphones or or their small devices, their compact devices, because that's where all of the advantages like power, you know, and, and uh, battery usage and stuff come into play. That's what they're building it for. They're not building it because they can make the most powerful one. They're building it purpose built.
0: Yeah. All right. Let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor of this show Squarespace. Now stick with me because the end of this is going to be different than Squarespace ads have been for the last couple of, uh, I think a year. Um, but you, you guys know the basic gist with Squarespace. It's the all in one in browser website, building hosting platform. You need a website, you go to Squarespace, you can get a free trial to start and, um, they do every, They have everything. You can get your domain name, you pick templates You pick what features you want on your site, anything from a a catalog with an online store to a podcast or a blog or a catalog with a blog. You know, really, the sky's the limit. It is totally creative. It's not like there's like three preset rigid things that you choose from and that's it. Um, Sky's the limit on design. You can customize it as much as you want. You can make it totally your own brand It'll look like just your website won't look like a cookie cutter using the such and such theme from Squarespace. No, it'll look exactly like your brand. And you can do it so fast and you don't need to be an expert. And if you do get stuck, you can contact them and get award-winning help. Just talk to somebody. Um, it's really, really great. Uh, it's a great product. I highly recommend that the next time you need a new website or the next time somebody you know comes to you for a website, which is even better, because then you're just totally off the hook for everything. You don't have to be the person they talk to when the website goes down or whatever. Uh, They could just call Squarespace. Everything you do is Squarespace. Sites look professionally designed. It looks like you're a total pro web designer, even if you've never designed anything in your life. Uh, Intuitive and easy to use. And if you sign up for a year at a time, you get a free domain name registration. So start your free trial today at squarespace.com slash Now that's the new thing. See, for a while, for a year, they were just doing squarespace.com, and then you'd remember the talk show when you pay or something like that. Uh, but now they want you to go to a uh, landing page, squarespace.com slash talk show. Uh, and when you do sign up, make sure you start there at squarespace.com slash talk show and use the offer code talkshow to get 10% off your first purchase. And that's, uh, you could use that 10% to save on a whole year, save a lot more money because you're buying a year and you get the free domain name. So, uh, my thanks to Squarespace for their continuing longtime support of the talk show. All right. You mentioned that there's rumors that Apple might want to, is getting into making their own GPUs. Uh, they started doing that with the iPhone. Um, the other recent rumor that I think we have to talk about is, uh, there was a, uh, Bloomberg Bloomberg report a week or two ago that said Apple plans to ship to their own it sh- switch the Mac to their own in-house chips starting in 2020 um which people have been speculating this is you know the timing you know saying like, putting a specific year on it is obviously news but i mean you'd have to be you uh, have your head in the sand or not you know be totally ignorant not to have been thinking uh <laughs> you know, ever since the Apple a series chips started coming out for the iPhone Mm -hmm. that Apple might switch to doing their own chips for everything. Uh, because Apple likes to have control and Apple has different priorities than the rest of the industry. Um, there have been Macs over the years that have been held up by Intel's, uh, ability to ship on time. Um, you know, so it makes all the sense in the world as a simple. Would they do this if they could? Yes, of course they would. Um, the question is, and I've gotten it from a lot of people. You probably have too. Is do you think this new Mac Pro? that's not coming until next year. Is that the explanation for why the new Mac pro isn't coming till next year? Because it'll be the first thing that they build in-house, you know, with the in-house mm. CPUs or mm. whatever. I think the answer to that is, uh, a definite no. And here's why, because, uh, 2019 is not 2020, <laughs> you know? And so however much, <laughs> right. however much faith you put in the Bloomberg story, uh, which, uh, Mark Gurman, uh, I forget who else's byline was on it, but uh, I really, really doubt that if that story is completely true, I really doubt that it's going to come out early. (laughs) You know, like I would guess that if the current plan, if there really is a plan, if that story is completely true and Apple is planning to ship to in-house design CPUs for Macs by 2020, I think that that means it'll come twenty twenty at the earliest and maybe you know twenty twenty one because you know these things sometimes take longer than you think they will, and if they're mm-hmm. already saying and they started last year on a on a new mac pro um that has to be two separate things right it's uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me that they would be related i I, I sort of think this is people just desperately trying to understand the how hard can it be to ship a workstation? Mm. (laughs) Like, it's not so much that they want this to be true. It's not so much that they've thought through all of the technical aspects of it. Like, would these be A-series ARM chips? And would this, you know, all the complications that that would entail of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, having a new process, a new architecture for the Macs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
1: forget that. I mean, ARM is just not designed for high-power You know, use it would basically be a redesigned chip completely. I mean, we're talking like it can't be any iteration of what they built before because ARM is specifically Apple went with ARM not because it was different, but because very specifically it sipped power.
0: Right. And it's, you know, useful for making devices like iPads and phones Mm -hmm. and uh, watches. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, Like, what makes Apple's in-house design team so good at, like, wow, this new Series 3 Apple Watch is so much faster than just two years ago. Like, that skill set doesn't really translate to, let's render a scene from the new Star Wars movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't – I will say, like, the chip team – on the subject of the chip team, I don't care how many times it has come up or somebody has – Posted some fluff piece about like, oh, Apple's chip team or whatever. I don't care how many of those you publish. I don't think anybody understands exactly how uh, amazing that team is. And I'm not saying this to blow smoke. I'm talking about the individuals involved. Like Apple has has assembled an insane group of talent in that team and like everybody I talked to who actually knows what the hell they're talking about is like that team is a beast. Like it is there. Not only is their output insane, like the amount of improvements that they're building on processors that nobody else has. Right. Like this is not where they could. Oh, we'll take this design and improve on it. 10%. right?" Right. Like they are literally building purpose built, brand new chips at a very rapid clip and making them better and better and better. It is very impressive output for a chip design team, which is chip design is like one of the hardest things to do in tech and hard tech. You know, it's like the, the pinnacle of difficulty on the engineering level. right? Because
0: somebody, whether if, if you take your, if you make a misstep as a chip maker uh, or just, you know, to start resting on your laurels, somebody else is going to stay the history of the computer industry has shown that somebody else is going to come in with their pedal to the metal and make a chip. That mm-hmm. is the state of the art in every aspect, you know, you know, uh, and, and eat your lunch. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I think these are two totally un- unrelated stories. I, I, if it's true that Apple is switching to in-house chips, whether they are ARM or they're their own in-house X eighty six or whatever, uh, I don't think that has any relation to a Mac Pro that started being engineered last year. I mean, I'm sure if they no, have this I, roadmap, I have,
1: hard, I have a hard time believing it, right? For sure, I'm sure
0: that they're, you know, it, 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 I'm sure they're also not happening in isolation because I'm sure that it's John, you know, John Turnus's team. At Apple doing hardware. If this is true, and I have no idea, but if it is true that there is a plan to sh- switch to in house CPUs in 2020,
1: I'm sure he's already aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think those I think those Venn diagrams significantly overlap. Yes, right.
0: I'm pretty sure, and so I'm sure they're thinking about it. But I don't think that you know, you know, there's an art to shipping, whether it's software or hardware, right? And it's you know, to ship one of these in 2019, you've got to you know, you start cutting things off early. You know, like okay, we'll use this, we'll use this, we'll use this. Um, it, using in-house CPUs that don't exist yet. <laughs> isn't something you can do now to ship in 2019.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, good luck with that one. I don't believe that either. I think it's definitely something along the lines of, uh, you know, the GPU in their own iDevices thing. That, that's not theirs either, right? It's right. not a completely Apple-built part yet uh, by by any means. But it is certainly closer to uh, custom, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know they they did a lot of work on that, and they will continue to. And I fully am convinced that at some point they will be their own in-house GPU. Right now, I think it still uses a lot of uh, uh, templatization and in kind of similar structures as other yeah. existing GPUs. But the the fact that they're building that thing is is a given, and the fact that they're working on other chips is a given. But like, if you look at that situation, I can imagine that if they chose like an, a manufacturer, an X86 manufacturer of some sort to build the CPUs in that, let's let's say it's Intel um, and they're going to build them a, a chip for that computer. Right. I can imagine them having extensive custom requirements <laughs> that make it wildly different than a normal off the shelf Intel part, Right. you know, for this, for this release um, in the future, you know, whatever, but definitely, I don't believe that there's going to be like some, uh, a, a, you know, Arm in part in this in this pro computer? No, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Now Apple's gone through two major CPU transitions with the Mac, and the fir- first Macs ran on Motorola sixty eight hundred family chips or sixty eight thousand uh, family chips, um, and then in the nineties they switched to the Power PC platform and mm-hmm. they switched everything not all at once but you know in the course of a year everything went from being Motorola 68000 based to PowerPC based and oh gosh i even forget what it was called but there was a you know but you could run your 68000 software in emulation for a couple of years so that's you know what what apps am i going to use if nothing's been recompiled yet um And then they sort of did the same thing when they switched in uh, 2005 from the PowerPC to Intel. And they had a, I remember the name of that one that was called Rosetta and Rosetta would let you run your PowerPC code. Um, And I don't believe it was, I think technically speaking and, uh, I'm sure John Syracuse will appreciate my exactitude here. Uh, it was not an emulator. It was a transcoder. Like it transcoded 68,000 in, 68, instruction set um, to, um, no, I mean, PowerPC instruction set to Intel on the fly. Um, but effectively, it's an emulator in, from the user's perspective. But then again, in, in it, within a year, the entire product line had been moved to Intel. Like every single Mac, you know, p- after the first one shipped a year later when you'd go in an apple store every mac was on an intel processor mm-hmm. i'm not 100 percent sure if they switch to arm chips in-house designed arm chips for Macs. i'm not sure that they would switch all of them i could see them and there, i i think that i don't think the developer story would be all that complicated by it i mean it, it it might be because you'd have to be able to you might have a lot of games for example that only run on the x86 max and don't run on the just plain macbook that has an apple designed arm cpu i don't know that might be too confusing Mm -hmm. for people um but philosophically i could see them doing that because the like the macbook i think would be a better computer if it had ipad cpu the ipad pro cpu than the intel whatever wimpy whatever it has um But I don't, I I could see them saying, but then at the high end for like the iMac Pro and for the upcoming Mac Pro and stuff that, you know, we'll just stick with Intel and let them do what they do best, which is the high performance stuff. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I could be wrong. It might just be that if they do switch, they will switch everything and they'll figure out a way to get high performance. I don't know. I didn't intend to spend that much time on this rumor.
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting one. And it's, it's as it's compelling every time it comes up, because people are like, well, hopefully, they're thinking this and it's not just from a, a shock and awe perspective, right? Which is like, Oh, yeah, they're switching from Intel, and it's gonna upset the business world. That's all fine, right? But it doesn't really matter to most users. And I think that the the compelling part of it is, is what could apple accomplish if it was freed from um you know completely from intel architecture and able to do to build a processor that was part and parcel with every other decision they made on their hardware right. and if it's not at a point where that they could do that and then where that contributes to significant gains in performance or frankly if it's apple we're talking about uh Whether the fans turn on or not, Um, you know, if it if they could feel that they could get a significant lead in that stuff, and users will notice a difference, that's when it makes sense. And I think there's a lot of attention paid to oh, when will they switch away from Intel, without considering the why so right. much right you know like right. the why would they you know right. and, and yes part of it is f- fiscal right like if they can if they can do their own and, and have their own whitelist providers uh, make their own chips they don't have to rely on intel there's still only so many foundries in the world though and i'm sure they're already getting a pretty damn good deal and it, so the the financial aspects of it are just going to be uh, relatively speaking, although it will probably be the size of a small company of its own, right? Uh, will be a relatively drop in the bucket for Apple. And so I think it would all really hinge on performance-based or experience-based improvements. Right, And, you know, that is where you have to like concentrate your ideas and your thoughts. And it just for me, like there's not a lot of clear ones on a desktop right away, you know, in that regard. And, i think we've seen from the co-processor aspect of the the macbook pro that apple has charted a way forward for them to be able to do things like utilize stuff purpose built right. for arm on ios right like you know the face let's say face id for instance they've charted a, a course forward for them to be able to do that without switching wholesale right so they've bought themselves some time or whatever you want to call it. So I don't know if the transition is as imminent as it seems or if there's something else going on yeah. where they have another class of compute device that is going to be using an arm computer, all the AKA new product lines.
0: I, I think it's safe to say that all the other high end phones use uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon processors. If Apple's in-house like a series processors weren't notably superior and had you know many advantages probably cost included since they don't have to you know they're in control of it if they were just roughly equivalent to the current generation snapdragons i don't think i think apple would shut the effort down you know like i they're, they're not doing it mm-hmm. just so they can have their own you know uh, put a cool name on it like a12 nitro or, you know, i don't know whatever <laughs> they're going to call this year's chip <laughs> right um, they're not doing it just so they can put a name on it they're doing it because it's a you know it's an advantage you know we'll take we'll undertake this incredible expense and effort of designing our own personal chips but we're doing it because mm-hmm. we get you know and, and the end result that the customer has in their hands is going to be a better product
1: right and i think that the experience or or advantage um often expresses itself in ways that are not obvious to users or frankly even analysts in in many cases um once you explain it you know everybody sort of the 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 meme catches on and the you know people understand but like the the recent chip um what the hell is it called it's not fusion it's not that's that's a drives no it's just a fusion it It is a fusion what's the buzzword i thought it was fusion is it yeah a11 yeah a11 fusion it is? Okay. So this A11 chip, they, and the, they, they said uh, Bionic. It's Bionic. No, it's no, not, no. I
0: thought that was the A10. Is it? Yeah. I it. thought it was A11. Uh, I think it was A10. A11
1: Bionic. No, no, no. Right. It's A11 Bionic. All right. <laughs> Which just goes to show you how dumb these <laughs> names are, right? Those names are really just to kind of say, hey, like it's You know, this is a new version of the chip, and we want you to know that there's more going on here than just a new chip. And there is more, right? It is, it does have dedicated sections of the chip um, that are used for things like security and used for things like processing, um, specifically machine learning style instructions. You know, I talked earlier about the AI chips being bigger and bigger things, and by AI, I really mean at this point. Machine learning and computational chips that are designed to, to run these types of instructions very efficiently. And to see a large portion of the the reason the Bionic it works the way it does or is the way it is is because it could do things like it can handle instructions that are not – that don't need a full cycle and it can run them, you know, sort of more efficiently. Because a lot of these um, – a lot of machine learning instructions are like really low rent, you know – not high powered instructions but you need to run an absolute junk ton of them and so it allows you to run these instructions um on essentially a half of what a normal swing would be you know it'd be like a batter going up to the plate and you're like we really do not want you to hit a home run on this one we need you to hit it between third and fourth right right? or or between second and third base third and fourth that's hilarious (laughs) between second and third base uh i just invented a base um we need you to hit it there out there and this is going to do wonders for our strategy. It's exactly what we need right now. And you have that hitter who's like, "No problem. You know, I could hit this home run for you, but this is what you want, and so here it is." And so it hits those base hits because the swing is shorter, and he can hit you know fifty or a hundred of those in the time it takes him to hit one home run. And that is what's going on here. Right. So that is then if you spool that out, what it allows Apple to do is run a lot of these instructions on device and do things like. Uh, figure out whose faces are whose or whatever without po- popping it up to the cloud and making the cloud run all these instructions instead. And that, of course, dovetails with their security and privacy angle, with their whole philosophy and all of this stuff. Yeah. And these types of interconnected tissues of the decisions that Apple makes on a hardware level are, are not only not possible, but not even in the realm of like understanding for most companies that built yeah. like an android phone or another mobile device. Yeah. Not I'm not saying those phones are bad. I'm not saying that people that like them are horrible human beings. I'm just saying that like you cannot do this on those devices. And now you will be able to eventually, right? Cuz usually Apple does the thing and then, you know, a year or two later everybody figures out how to do it. And that's great. But right now these purpose-built devices each year that come out like chips and all this stuff are built in this way where they're not just saying, oh, we built this because X. It's we built this because X, Y, Z, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta right. all connect to this. And that, I think, is the way you got to look at their chip design, the way you got to look at the desktop. If they're going to switch to ARM, it's not going to be because, you know, uh, one win. Right, right? right. It has to be a dozen wins right. on different angles. Right. And not all those wins will be evident right up front. Right.
0: Um. It feels like a show. It feels like we covered this completely. I'll just say, I just feel like this whole thing. And again, uh, I'll go back to what I said before that. I felt like your story was such good news for people who love the Mac and who are really, you know, again, to abuse a term that I sometimes cringe at, but I don't know what else to say. Power users of various sorts, um, who feel like whose big fear is that Apple is moving to this. Everybody will use an iPad and like it, uh, mentality. I, I just felt like your story and this commitment they have to the pro market shows how committed they are to the Mac, and, and maybe not the Mac exactly as we know it, but the Mac that has these Mac-like aspects that aren't like iOS that we know. Um, because I don't see iOS devices moving to support extra, external GPUs; uh, it just doesn't make sense. It, it, you know, right? I mean, you know, in the near term, uh,
1: I, I you know, I'll be honest. No, probably not. But I, I, you know, um, an iPad Pro with an eGPU would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and then that's uh, that's one little, like just a last addendum to the whole discussion about that that thing. You know, that, about that story is that one of the things that they showed me, which was very cool there, and which does also tap into the way that Apple thinks about pros and pro computers, and and you know, kind of follows along with this GPU. Uh, EGPU line of reasoning is that they had a, an iMac pro there running logic, and they had two iPad pros paired to it wirelessly and I was told you could pair up to five devices wirelessly to an iMac pro um, on logic you know I think all you know all of the above uh, work with up to five devices and um, you know everybody's encouraged to buy. Four iP- five right. iPad Pros with every <laughs> iMac purchase, of course. Um, but you could put them together. And what, the way they were using them is that they, they were up to the left or the right of the iMac, and they had um, Logic displays. They were served by Logic, um, but they were not the same displays that you saw on the iMac. They were purpose-built for iPad screens. And they those screens could show you you know large, tappable buttons that allowed you to do things like time... Uh, You know, do like, you know, either metronome metronome timing, jump to a particular portion in a track, do a a scratch pad, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever you need to do to to tweak your stuff that works better by touch. Um, And and to do things like reference the manual um, live. I mean, you could hover over a device uh, or a knob on the iMac and the manual would live update to that particular section for that knob on the iPad Pro. It was really cool.
0: That's very cool. And then you could just like and just and the iPads wireless, so you could pick it up and just like if you wanted to read about that setting, you know, you could just mm -hmm. like pick it up and take a stretch and walk around with the iPad. You don't have to like unplug it or unmount it. It sounds pretty cool.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's it was neat. It was just, And I'm not saying this will work for everybody. And some people are going to be like, ah, you know, my work does not use, you know, there's no feasible way I could possibly utilize that setup in my work. But that just goes back to this thing. That pros are diverse. And most of them just wanted to, to work in the way that feels right in their workflow. And I think iPad Pros have a lot to do with that and will have a lot to do with that in the future. And it really typified why Apple believes that touchscreen Macs are not in its immediate future, right. you know, and are not the way it wants to go. It's instead, why not take this touch screen that is incredibly high resolution and incredibly responsive that, you know, adding to a Mac would not be feasible and or, you know, cost wise effective um, and utilize that, you know, if you want to do touch there, you could, you know, activate. Um, your, your, all of your controls you want on there, walk around and control your iMac with it while you're producing music or whatever. And then when you want to walk away from it, you go walk away and use GarageBand you know, and then come back. Yeah.
0: I know. I just, I'm just i so glad I thought of it. There's one more point I wanted to make, and I, you mentioned it explicitly. I, I think somebody at Apple told you this, but that one of the reasons they wanted to, hey, call you in and get this story out that the new Mac Pro is going to be a next year thing um, is that they're aware that people are making buying decisions now. And if you've been thinking, well, I need a new pro desktop and the new iMac pro looks like it, I could, I could make do with that, but maybe I'll hold my breath and wait for this Mac pro. If you need work, you know, something for this year, you know, now, you know, get them, you know, rig out a iMac pro. And I think that's pretty cool. And it's definitely a new Apple thing, right? Like (laughs) Apple has not in the past been all that interested in helping people, with their buying decisions when there are uh curiously long in the tooth products in the in the Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah everybody's got to read the tea leaves and i don't think it makes for a a very welcoming environment for institutional buyers i I really don't think that that like i think you're absolutely correct that it was expectation setting and all of that stuff um, but i i don't think that it was necessarily even aimed at the individual buyer you know because the individual buyer at this point uh, they're going to take away from this, you know, exactly the same thing. But it really was aimed at those institutional buyers who are like, "I have a 2018 budget. Do I spend it now or wait?" That's really <clears> their simple question, and they'll find ways to spend it, whether that's on iMac Pros or or some other thing that they need to spend it on this year. But it's a message saying. If you've got a budget set aside, utilize it. <laughs> utilize it for other Apple products. <laughs> other Apple products, um, hopefully, obviously. Um, but then in 2019, you know, earmark your budget for the Mac Pros that you've been waiting for. We're talking research. We're talking, you know, schools. We're talking, um, you know, R and D departments. You know, these places that really need this raw compute power that buy a bunch at a time. You know, yeah. movie studios. Yeah. But whatever you want to call it uh and and these are production houses wait buy it in 2019 don't worry about you know, so saving your budget now in 2018, spend it on what you got, yeah. and then when you get you, know, you get your new budget for 2019, you know what to look for. Yep. So that's really the the major market it was aimed at. I yeah. think.
0: All right, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing such a great story. I'm so glad you came here to talk about it. Everybody can thank uh, you for the
1: kind words. Everybody, everybody can
0: get all the Panzerino they want on Twitter at uh, at Panzer P A N Z E R, and uh, you can read his work and the work of his excellent team at TechCrunch.com.
1: Exactly. And if you want uh, all 100% shoe content, you can follow me on Instagram, <laughs> at Panzer. And he is not <laughs> kidding. No. It's all shoes all the time. So, <laughs> all right. I used to have my kids on there, and I, just, uh, I archived all my kids. Yeah. It's just all shoes. Yeah.
0: You only put your A material all on right. there. <laughs>